What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, it's been an eventful few days since we last chatted. Just a little bit. Yes. Tiny bit. We've been working through a bit of a crisis on the podcast side because on opening weekend of college football season, um, iTunes decided that it didn't want to be part of our RSS feed for the first time in five years since we've been doing this podcast, uh, Mm -hmm. which was great, great timing all around. So that's been fun. If you're listening to this on another platform on Spotify, on SoundCloud, thank you. Appreciate it. We've been trying to get the word out as much as possible. Continue to get the word out. Hopefully by the time people are listening to this, maybe we'll have this issue resolved. But as of right now, as of this recording on Wednesday afternoon, that is still an issue. Will, uh, you also had a different kind of crisis. You had to watch LSU play football on Sunday night. Well, I actually, I haven't told you the story. That was the second biggest crisis of my weekend. Whoa. So I've, I've given like a version of um, this kind of lesson. Obviously, it's a new story. But um, so <laughs> we just fill you in on this. So we were in a car, right? So we, we go, we fly into Baton Rouge in the BTR. Hang out in Baton Rouge, have a great day in Baton Rouge or whatever. Rent a car. Okay. We're driving to New Orleans um, from Baton Rouge. And uh, you talked about kind of like a random rainstorm. Starts raining, right? So we're in a rental car and we're driving, you know, not fast or anything, um, you know, 70 or whatever. But uh, I guess we just hit like some oil in the road or something and immediately started hydroplaning. So very scary. I would learn, I would learn. the next day from my friends that we spun around four times. Um, what? We, yeah. So we get off the road. I'm at, you've been around me for a while. Luckily I've been in so many crises over my life that I handled this. I was so locked in. I guided us into the, the, uh, the grass and like coasted into the median and basically wrecked this car. I mean, this car got screwed up. Um, I don't know to this moment exactly what happened. Um, I think we hit some oil. Maybe the tires were bad, but we weren't doing anything unsafe. I That's was, the, the the tires. It, tires are that are old when they hydroplane. Mm-hmm. That is a bad combination. So, did you have the rental insurance at least with with your Certainly with your not. provider? Well, Certainly. okay. So you you don't necessarily have to buy the rental insurance, but if you have the rental insurance through your your insurance provider, then yep. usually that will take care of it. So. Are you guys going to be oh, good yeah, there? No, no, I'm good. I have like okay. insurance. I just got a phone with uh, my company. They've been good. really good. Um, but anyway, so whatever, you know, we, I realized that the last, I was like, I got to hit this median. There's nowhere else I can go. So we slam into this median or whatever. I look over um, in that moment, to be honest with you, man, I thought we were all kind of thought we were all kind of toast um, just because I had just had a conversation with Brady funny enough about trains and now there are so many accidents in America that end in death because we're moving so fast. Right. So I look over and with Peyton and Brady um, and, and I, I'm like, I, in that moment, I was like, I like first thing through my mind was I hope everyone's okay. And then I immediately thought if they're not, this is my fault. Like, you know, just as a, as a person, as a person, you're kind of, we're all doing this feeling. thing. Yeah. I was like, and I look around now, look, best group of people I could have been with. Like I said this at the time, Peyton was in like the army for like 10 years. So crisis mode for him is much different. than me. So I look over at him and he just big old guy just goes, Hey, I'm doing all right. <laughs> and I look at Brady who is like small. He's in the back seat. He's just kind of sitting there. He's like, I think I'm okay. Too. And I was just like hundred percent. You guys are good. And they were like, 
yeah i just kind of started like hitting the steering wheel I'm like guys i'm so sorry like, da, da, da. and they both just look at me and they're like dude you're you're good um you're fine um horrifying experience and Dang, so man yeah so i said all that to say like that was like pretty traumatic obviously and it's funny because i saw um you know, I, I ran into one of the podcast uh, group listeners. We took a photo, put it in the group and everything. Um, and that was the same day. Um, you know, we got, I'm not going to go into the whole story because it's not, I mean, um, but whatever. Uh, so we kind of got out, we got to meet with some people in New Orleans. We all kind of were like, hey, we're all about it. We're at 100% health right now. We'll be fine. Perspective, but, right? Yeah. Right. So, so, so point being, um, <laughs> point being, whenever I texted you, first part of that was our um the internet was very bad at the airbnb but the other part of that is i was like dude i'm not sure if my friends you know i don't know if they have concussions i don't know if they're okay i don't want to sit here and wake them up after going through this like horribly traumatic day so i appreciate you like being cool i didn't want to like be like hey dude we got in a car wreck i'm not doing the podcast i got you, but I, I, got pre- you. I appreciate you being cool about that because i was like i don't want to do that but like literally like i said but it was just funny because I was like, oh, these guys are going to think I was out late. They're going to think all this stuff. And when in reality, it was like the opposite of that. We turned in super early. And the funny thing about it, we talked about it after is, our, you know, like I said, that's where you really know about your friends. And I'll just fast forward to the LSU game. And I'll talk about the LSU game, too. But um, obviously, yeah, that's the main part of the podcast, right? It's not the Will Correct podcast. But oh, uh, uh, there was a moment to fast forward it to the end. I literally, uh, you know, I walked out after the final play. I'm like sitting there. Um crouch down in the superdome and brady like kind of picked me up off the ground i was like i'm getting emotional to go because i was like how bad is this really <laughs> like i was like looking at him i was like this person is here <laughs> you know like this like my buddy picked me up we're good we're gonna get out of here it's all gonna be fine so what i said is i've given a version of this before but it's like you know caring about college football caring about the little things in life right podcasts all the different stuff all that is a luxury that we don't appreciate until it's too late. You know what I'm saying? Well said. And I realized that kind of in that moment, because obviously it was a hard game. It was a hard thing to go through, but it's funny because I opened my phone and everybody was tagging me and tagging me. Oh, what do you have to say about this? What do you have to say about this? I got some tweets about you too. Yeah. Yep. I got, and we've really just gotten to that point now for me with the podcast. One of my neighbors called me over the weekend and was like, oh my gosh, I just realized I'm listening to you on the podcast this whole time. And it's funny because going to open a week, I was like, this is going to be my first season. Like with people really knowing this is me and all these people were tagging me, tagging me. I was just looking at my phone, just laughing because I was like, buddy, this will not be the second best. This will not be the worst thing that happened to me this weekend. And so that's why I've been super quiet. I haven't been running from anything, but it's just hard for me to like care about Kayshawn Boutte. Okay. We'll, we'll have a, we'll, I, I do want to get to your, your breakdown in the game. By the way, we, we've got a great show lined yeah. up for you. A uh, little bit of a different show. Uh, Fox Sports is Charlotte Wilder. She's going to be on to discuss her bucket list experience that she's having this year. She did it last year as well. A lot of great stuff. Fun interview with her. And then we're also going to do some fact or fiction with the Facebook group to close out. Uh, yes, we have a Brian Kelly question coming in there that we're going to get listeners. Do. Yeah, of course we do. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to get some listener interaction on. But Will, um, I was going to ask the question, how many years did you lose off your life experiencing that <laughs> comeback? <laughs> And then the ending, but now that feels a little a touch inappropriate. We could just say it was like a PFF stat: total years lost at the beginning, yes. <laughs> over under nine point five. Yeah. So, could, did I take up all my time? Can I, can I talk about the game a little bit? Okay. So, I, I want I wanted the the range of emotion for you as an LSU fan who watches this game, and I think you have you have good overall perspective. I've dealt with some LSU fans in the off season that I feel like I really have to tell them. Hey, look, 
you haven't had a winning record since 2019. Mm-hmm. It's a very new team that lost 10 players to the NFL draft. And you're relying on a lot of guys in the transfer portal. And there are a lot of massive unknowns. And I feel like I have to keep having to say that over and over. And I'm sick of hearing myself say it. And you have oh, great dude, perspective. And I'll say really quick. We got we got tagged in the podcast group talking about why y'all so negative about LSU. That's and we why. both said, I was accused of not being enough of a homer. And right. I said, buddy, what about these last two LSU teams has told you that this is a team you can put blind money in? Bro, my sister was at that game. And my nephew and they, like, my sister went to FSU. They're all I don't get a word of crap about the game. Okay, so that's that's what I was interested in because for the first 55 minutes, it's it's bad. And it's it looks oh, like yeah. Jaden Daniels is running first life. You yep. probably didn't get to see as much unless you were like unless you were on Twitter, the Keishon the Booty stuff where you know he gets consoled by Daniels on the sideline, which I thought was a great move by Jaden Daniels, by the way. And that kid, sure oh that my moment. gosh, I could not be more impressed by Jaden Daniels. He's of all the question marks I had, we it's funny. I, I don't want to like get ahead of the document and everything, but remember when you said the offensive line, like, oh, the, the freshman started. What did I say? You remember this? I said it's because we converted a left tackle to center, and that's what I'm worried about. First drive of the game, that crap goes over Daniel's head. I was like, Dude, you can't t- make this up. T. Bob brought up a great point. I, I it was mm-hmm. it was T. Bob or Golic Jr. One of the two. It might have been Golic Jr. Actually, I get those guys mixed up. Every once One of our two favorite chunks. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Love them both. Um, but but they said something about how. That happening on the opening drive where you mess up a snap like that, mm-hmm. when you make that switch, if that happened in the third quarter, the fourth quarter, something like that, no big deal. You've been in enough of a rhythm. But the fact that it happened on the first drive, how that mm-hmm. impacts your psyche for the rest of the game, it's such a routine thing that all of a sudden you start overthinking. It's like you get the yips. I used to get the mm-hmm. yips throwing the ball back to the pitcher when I was a catcher. And I I would have these spells where I like... I was like Brew Baker in Major League. Like I, I couldn't <laughs> throw the ball back. And so as a center, yeah, I thought that was a perfectly fair point to to bring up. And who knows how that how much that impacts the offense. But that offensive line's got a long way to go, man. Long way to go. Well, the funny thing is, too, we talked about concerns, right? And I said I felt good about LSU because of their D line. And I specifically brought up Mason oh. Smith. Mason Smith. Alfred and that dude, i yeah. It felt like, and I haven't gone back and watched, I'm not going to go back and watch that game. I'll be sure to be honest. No. <laughs> I'll just be honest. I've been through enough regarding that game. Yeah. But that was what, the second defensive drive? It was very early in that game. Yeah, Mason Smith, who was the all the talk of, of LSU offseason camp, uh, torn ACL, seemingly celebrating a defensive stop, um, which that kind of lets you know how things were going to go. I, I do. Uh, well, I'll get to the Ali Gay thing uh, later. Little preview for Lad of the Week for you. Um, <laughs> but losing Ali Gay in the way that he did with the, with the targeting penalty, all that stuff. It was like, yeah. So these strengths that we're talking about with LSU, and then we're talking about the receivers, and the receivers were such a non-factor in this football game because partly because it's Jane Daniels' first game in a new offense, partly because the offensive line is not really giving you a whole lot of time. And then part mm-hmm. of it, in my opinion, is scheme. And there could have been opportunities to be able to just get some of those guys going with a pop pass or something like that. And then the special teams miscues, of course. LSU is a very flawed football team. And I <laughs> well, think hold that's on. fair I'll to say. say. I think the receivers had a good day. I think a receiver did not. <laughs> I, if you look up and down, there were four guys who had four who had five catches for LSU in that game. Yeah, Jaden hit nine different targets in that game. I could not be more impressed. It, it's we we always talk about you know playing against spies 
Ben Brock was a spy in that first half. That game plan made no sense. You have a young athletic quarterback who's your leading rusher. He had over 100 yards rushing. And you're you're running like this archaic system with no tempo. And yeah, I mean, he doesn't trust himself. He's starting to, he's an athlete first, right? He's starting to take off and, and run and stuff. But it's it's so easy to scheme these receivers open. And, and how about neighbors? I mean, having that performance as a receiver yeah. while muffing, the, usually you get the yips like you were talking about and you're just out of the game. He was good in that game on offense. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still going to be a difficult thing to to work through though to 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 coach that out of Jaden Daniels because yeah, you have a bad offensive line and you start looking down. It's all she mm-hmm. wrote. It's all it's really difficult. It's one thing if you got your first read getting open, but it doesn't. You sense that pressure, even when you don't sense that pressure. That's going to be something that LSU is going to have to work through. I think better days are ahead. Uh, we'll get to some of the overreactions and whatnot later on. So this will not be the last LSU talk that we have. We're not going to be breaking down the game because remember when we do uh, when we do game previews and stuff, we don't talk about FCS specific games. But any, anything else, any other takeaways from the game that you wanted to be able to hit on before we move on to week two? Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, I, I was surprised by almost none of this. I'm not out on Brian Kelly by any means. Like you said, we'll get to that. But this is exactly what this team did last year against Florida State with a much more on on page team, team that had been together way longer with a coach that had obviously been there as long as he had. And at the end of the you day, if you did it against UCLA last year. No, 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 no. Brian Kelly did this against Florida State. Oh, last Brian Kelly. Oh, you're talking about yeah, what Notre yeah, Dame yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah what Notre Dame did. Co- coach O was even more lost than Brian Kelly was yeah, this year, yeah. as funny as that might be. But, you know, and, and it's just so, there are so many levels to this that are so funny. And, like, I'm not going to hear it. You know me. Like, I'm, it's funny that he only had one assistant follow him, and it's Polian. And he's a special teams coach. And we have McMahon retires. He's the best special teams coach in college football for 12 years under Les Miles. And I think even maybe a little bit of Nick Saban. He'd been there. I mean, every going back all the way to um colt david back in the day every kicker lsu had had josh jeff amazing kickers amazing punters send guys at the league brad wing never had plot anything but then we show up and this dude comes from notre dame the only guy that follows him and every fi- can't kick a field goal can't block a field goal can't return a kick we bramblet had a shank putt i'm like what do y'all practice like, y'all just tweeting graphics out there yeah <laughs> that was rough yeah like, but that's it. Like I said, I think these kids uh, played their butts off. I think that bo- booty, we talked about it. Remember, and I said, I'd rather have Cedric Tillman because of this right here. Yep. Because yep. in these games, and like I said, it's easy now that we've been doing this podcast for so long for me to follow a long thread of what I said and say, dude, what do you want? Booty will check him. He's he's not consistent. He's incredibly talented. But that's why him and Brian Kelly, I think, have some work to do together because that's his only question going into the NFL draft is can you take coaching? And after a week, the answer is no. Long way to go for Keishon Booty. Maybe not yep. a long way to go if he decides that, that LSU isn't for him. He scrubs this, the social media stuff of LSU stuff. They say he's just going dark. Call it what it is. I would call it not a great start to the Keishon mm-hmm. Booty, Brian Kelly experience in game one. Like I said, though, we'll have more, a little more LSU, Brian Kelly talk uh, at the end of the pod with fact or fiction. Let's talk week two. I love, love, love this slate. We've got really interesting games at each point of the day. We've even got a little nightcap, little nightcap. Mike Leach, Pac-12 after dark. That's the way that oh, it should man. be. Again, music to my ears. Just a it, weekend at home. Some Mike Leach back to all that. I can't wait. 
I can't wait. I love being able to, I'm sitting there at like 1130 on Saturday night and I'm cranking out notes. And usually at 1130, I'm watching SEC final and I could pretty much recap by the time that it's over. I know when, because it's, you know, they replay it and stuff. And I can tell you exactly what Dari is about to say on SEC Mm -hmm. final. I get to that point, but instead this time, sorry guys, I'm going to be watching Mike Leach and Pac-12 after dark. That's, that's the Mm -hmm. best way to be able to do it. Um, okay, a lot of games to be able to discuss. Let's start with the the headliner, the nooner, Bama. 20 and a half point favorite on the road at Texas. The over-under I have, one and a half references to Alabama's non-conference late the last decade. It is the first time that Alabama is playing a non-conference game against a Power 5 team on a college campus since the 2011 Penn State game in Happy Valley. Isn't that crazy? All these neutral site games. That's what they do. At least when it comes to playing against Power 5 foes. One thing to play against Utah State at home. It's a different thing to go on the road and play at Texas. Don't get it twisted. Spoiler alert, I've got Alabama winning this football game. Bama figured out the system. They figured out the best way to be able to schedule non-conference during the college football playoff era, and it worked to their advantage. Play neutral site games, get that revenue check, still be able to win. And for everybody saying, Alabama plays such a soft schedule, Alabama went 25 and 17 against AP top five teams since 1999. Your boy went down a massive rabbit hole on that stat. And I don't know why I picked 1999. A lot of Woodstock 1999, Woodstock 99 references in this pod today, as you'll see from the interview with Charlotte Wilder. Um, I did just watch that and was really interested. So yeah, 1999, that's that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. I have my most popular tweet ever in reference to Notre Dame falling to two and two versus AP top five teams since 1999. I think we're at like 15,000 likes on that one. Let's go. People love piling on Notre Dame. That's they sure kinda, do, man. Fish in a barrel. Um, LSU, 17 and 19 against AP top five foes since 1999. Really good. That's really good. Listen, well, if you should track like the 10 straight years I lost to Bama, it's even better, I'm sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, if you took if you took Bama out of that stat, that would be very, very different. A lot better mm-hmm. than Nebraska. Two and 13 against AP top five teams since 1999. Oh, and 11. In the last 20 seasons, Will is pounding the table for us. As we know, that is the favorite thing to do in the Nebraska press box. What's Texas against AP top five teams since 1999, you ask? Eh, five and 11. Not terrible. Not terrible. I have worse stats about Texas that I'll get to in a second. South Carolina has just as many wins against AP top five teams since 1999 as Texas. Let that sink in. Okay. Been a very different time this year, 21st century. Mm-hmm. Some fun te- Texas stats for you. If we actually just focus on the AP top four, which Bama is, in case you forgot, number one team in the country, Saturday will mark, will mark the first time that Texas has faced an AP top four team since 2017. Crazy to think about that. In the last 10 seasons against AP top four teams, Texas is 0-2. That's it. That's it. Texas has not beat an AP top four team since 2008, my freshman year of college. Will, how old were you? 2008. Oh, gosh. 2008, uh, 13 to 14. Yeah, you were eighth grade or freshman in high school? Eighth grade. Yeah. Dang. Wow. Um, Texas has one win against an AP top four team in the post Vince Young era. It's been a while. I was about to say how even that stat is almost unfair because that's all like a great Texas team that was probably beating almost lower ranked teams or winning a title. Like, Yep. Texas has not been ranked as an AP top four team since it lost to Bama in the natty at the end of the 2009 season. It's a lot of history right there. A lot of history. Here's one more step. Remember that last year's A&M game 
marked Alabama's first loss to a non top 15 team since 2010, South Carolina. Shout out to Stephen Garcia. Mm-hmm. That's why that spread is so lopsided. Just in case you were thinking to yourself, ah, you know what? 20, I can get 20 and a half points for, for Texas. Sign me up. Um, it's also worth noting that Quinn Ewers will be making his first start ever against power five competition. And it just so happens that Will Anderson and Dallas Turner will be there. The fact that Chris Braswell is becoming a thing, that's just not really fair. That, in my opinion, not great in terms of looking at this Texas offense and what it could potentially do. I think Ewers is going to have a ton of pressure in his face. And if he has less than five combined sacks taken slash interceptions, I should be pretty impressed. That'd be pretty, pretty darn good if you kept that number low. He will be overmatched in many ways. But I also think he'll have moments in which he shows the world that he's not Tate Martell 2.0. I'm having to fight that battle on the internet. I don't like having to fight that battle. I really There don't. will never be another Tate Martell. That guy's unique college experience like the fact that so many fan bases bought it the fact that his name was tathan the fact that he looks like he could lose a fight to either one of us i feel like that makes him a really unique player in college football. i'm telling you what will <laughs> there's going to be another tate martell there will be another tate martell in the internet age you better believe it in the nil age yes there will be somebody that is hyped up in the same way that he is that falls in love with the recruiting process that says uh you know talks trash to Justin Field before he comes to Ohio State and takes his job. Uh, there will be another Tate Martell. There definitely will be. <laughs> that did happen. That's actually really funny. Good follow-up. Talk, anyway. talk trash to Nick Starkle, too, during the recruiting Which, process. What? Anyway. <laughs> well, he's committed to A&M. At, at yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I made the comp that uh, this is, this is going to be off the rails, so just stick with me on this one. Yeah. I made the comp that yours is like Rocky and Rocky Four, and the Russian crowd is like the Twitter trolls who can't wait to to blast the underdog, right? And it's kind of weird to say that Quinn yours is an underdog, but in this case, he definitely is going up against Bryce Young, going against Alabama. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe by the end of this game, yours is going to convert some people with his poise. Maybe the Twitter trolls won't be chanting for yours like the Russians inexplicably switching to Rocky's corner at the height of the Cold War, but it will be something like that. How those people all didn't get executed was actually the biggest upset of that entire movie. I thought That's they would. a really good point. I mean, I know the prime minister's getting involved. He's getting up there. He's clapped. He's stunned that he's clapping at the end of that movie, but... Those people, uh, that was their last night on earth. I mean, that's what <laughs> it is. It's good to know. Yeah. I, I hate to say it. it's just a movie. We can make the joke. How does this play out? This is going to be a brutal day to play defense. Temperatures scorching. 11 a.m. local time cramps galore. Texas could play this one in a monsoon and it wouldn't have a chance of slowing down Bryce Young in that offense. Just wouldn't have mm-hmm. a chance. But I think after finding, falling behind maybe a few scores early, the Texas offense kind of wakes up a little bit in the second half, third quarter. Sark gets the scheme going. And they, they score some points in this game to make it look closer than it probably is. Bama wins 52-31, to 31, covers the 20.5-point spread. How do you think this plays out? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's about right. I mean, I think that, honestly, like Saban loves – like the thing that Saban's gotten really good at is knowing when to hit the – gas and when hit the brakes and when have a teachable moment like we saw Kirby having on the sidelines on Saturday and I think that this is a team that he probably wants to just kick off a bridge like this is a team that he's just like oh y'all got Arch Manning y'all got Quinn you y'all think y'all got something going kick on over there just <laughs> yeah 300 styles just this is Bama just by into the river I'm picturing what that would like how demonstrative Saban would be in that moment. Would he do full wind up like like he's running into it, or is it just a, a simple drop kick? 
What's the form on Saban? He's he'd probably just hit like, like the force like Darth Vader or alternatively he could just kind of drop Sark into a dungeon with Will Anderson. I think mm. either of those would be good options. <laughs> yeah. Will Anderson's going to feast. He's it. Uh, from, from the quotes that have been coming out it looks like he's excited to face Quinn Ewers. Um, mm-hmm. Very very much looking forward to that. Should be a great matchup though. South Carolina on the road number 16 Arkansas. Arkansas is an eight and a half point favorite. The over under I have one picture from the Georgia staff, 2016-2017 era, with the spotlight on Beamer and Pittman. I love that. I love the yeah. old, these guys know each other well because they work together storyline. They were on the same staff. Look at the staff. You guys heard of the 2015 Bama staff? I don't know if you guys have seen those graphics going around. The uh, 20, <laughs> what is it? The 2013, 20, yeah, 2013 Washington Redskins staff. Oh, yeah. With all, there's the there's like three staffs that I know every member of because people just keep making new graphics yes. of them. Yes, that Georgia staff is is kind of amongst that with the way that it's been able to, to crank out head coaches. Uh, the Bama mm-hmm. staff, of course, from 20, yeah, 2015 as well. Definitely a part of that. Um, I, I love both of those guys, obviously. like They're annual guests on this show. I like them mm-hmm. more and more every single time that they come on. They are both going to open up opportunities for coaching candidates who would have been at a major disadvantage without previous coordinator or head coaching experience. And I think big picture, as you look at these two individuals, that's the lamb, that's the that's the imprint that they're going to make on this sport. It was different even with like Dabo and Coach O because they both got an audition as the interim coaches. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They get kind of labeled as the guys who have been able to have success, even though they didn't come in as as coordinators. But I think Ray Tanner and Hunter Yurchak really going the unconventional route to hire guys like that have been rewarded for it so far. So it's going to be cool to kind of see these guys get that spotlight in what feels like a meaningful game. As for this specific game, I've got a pretty obvious fear for South Carolina. It's one that South Carolina fans know about before I'm even going to say it. Think about this. Gamecocks were the ultimate good vibes team in college football this offseason. Mm-hmm. They had a home opener under the lights at Willie B. They've got all that experience back on the offensive line. And against Georgia State, they couldn't control the line of scrimmage. That is daunting in this football game. In a raucous environment on the road where you need that communication and you need to be firing off the football to make life easier on your quarterback, South Carolina is going to be fighting an uphill battle. That's critical because if you if you just walked into this game and said, well, I know that Spencer Rattler is going to get protection, you would say, boom, Gamecocks have a real chance at an upset with all the unknowns that Arkansas has in the secondary right now, mainly the likely possibility that Jalen Catalan is out for this game. But mm-hmm. I think those Arkansas edge rushers, so we talked about a lot in the offseason, mainly Drew Sanders, I think he has a field day. Arkansas leans on that ground game instead of maybe testing Cam Smith, and this turns into a 28-17 victory for the Hogs. They cover. Will, how does this play out? Yeah, so... I actually really like what I saw out of Arkansas. I know I missed my chance to do the the, the look back, but I just want to tell you this because I think you'll think it's hilarious. As you know, one of my best friends is a UCF grad, and we he's now fully into like conference beef because they're joining the Big 12 with Cincinnati. So we are watching this game on the big TV, and I made this point to him years ago when Arkansas was horrible. That was like, in the SEC, things are different because even if you got to go travel to 2-10 and 10 Arkansas, fans are still throwing batteries at you. They're ready to go. And I just kept being like, see – Look at that home field Brady throwing batteries. It was the funniest thing in the world because we were just had no affiliation to these teams. We were just screaming. I was like, welcome to Conference Pride, dude. Yes, this, uh, is <laughs> this is you're welcome to it. But anyway, so yeah, I think that uh I I seriously was in love with that game plan from Arkansas. I think that they responded really well 
um, without Traylon Burks. And they, they never, they even with that fumble, which obviously they did a lot, like that was a lot of Cincinnati miscues that led to that not being a score. But point being, their offense is so multiple. They have so many ways they can hurt you. Whenever they needed to pick up a, a first down in that game, they kept doing it. I think that South Carolina almost has the opposite going for them, where they're a little bit disjointed, still can't get on the same page. By the way, South Carolina, whoever your special teams coordinator is, I want you to take this name down, Scott Woodward. You need Whoa. to write that. <laughs> no, no, no. South South Carolina's. The, oh, oh yeah. You want LSU to poach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got because yes, um, they had what three special teams. Yeah, <laughs> So Pete Lembo, who's who used to be the Ball State head coach, is their special yes, teams coordinator. Exactly. He, he made if himself. You may be listening. Yes, I just yes. need to give this guy a call. I'm sure he has a lot he wants to talk to you about. Yes. Potential, <laughs> yeah, potential job interest. Just kind of see where your where your head's at. You get you ever you ever get those feeler calls from somebody that just like calls you up kind of on the blue, just like yeah, I just want to see like kind of up to man. Just, yeah. what, you, what you been up to? Yeah, <laughs> get one of those. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think we're in agreement that Arkansas wins this football game. What a, what a win it would be for South Carolina to go on the road and beat Arkansas. They'd have a, the hype train would be rolling if that happened. But I do think Arkansas is able to come away with the victory. Yeah. Number 23, Wake Forest, 12 and a half point favorite on the road against the Doors, Vandy. Oh, yeah. 2 0, undefeated Vandy. The only 2 0 team in the SEC. The over under I have for this 300 passing yards for Sam Hartman. Yeah, Sam Hartman. He's back. He's playing in this football game. That was the entire thing that we were hearing about with, oh, could Vandy potentially upset Wake Forest because we're not going to have Sam Hartman? Yikes. He's going to be back. He's going to be playing for this one. He was out with a blood clot issue, was expected to be out indefinitely, and instead he is back by week two, which is tough news for Vandy. That was a, a nice chance for them to maybe sneak up on Wake, but now you're probably going to see why Wake Forest won 11 games last year uh, because they got nine of those offensive starters, including Hartman, back. Last year, mm-hmm. Hartman hit 300 passing yards in six of his 12 games against Power 5 competition. I don't want to say that Vandy hasn't played any real passing offenses yet, but comparing Hartman to the quarterbacks from Hawaii and Elon would be like me saying barbecue from the Northeast is just as good as barbecue from the South. It ain't okay. Hey, there we go. It ain't. I, I look. I've I've had it from the north. I've had it from the south. It ain't close. It is definitely different. Even though I do love dinosaur barbecue, shout out Syracuse, New York. It's different down south. It just is. Mm-hmm. Mandy, even amidst this two and zero start, just allowed Elon to throw for three hundred forty three yards. That's not great. It worries me that. Vandy could fall behind and put Mike Wright in a tough spot. He's been playing ahead mostly throughout this 2-0 start. He's been great. I mean, Mike Wright has been everything that Vandy fans could have hoped for, and you see why he was named the starter post-spring. He's got 10 touchdowns through two games. Ray Davis, their tailback, has been a stud, previously uh, formerly known as Ramon Davis, not going by just Ray. He is the highest-graded SEC running back so far, according to PFF. This one could be super fun. It actually could mm-hmm. be. If Bama, Texas turns into this massive blowout and everybody's like, oh, this is kind of boring. All the backups are in right now. Maybe flip over to Wake Forest Vandy because the over-under is 65 and a half. <laughs> That's a lot of points. That is a whole lot of points. The spread was initially minus eight. And then when we found out that Hartman was going to be back, that line jumped to minus 13. It's at minus 12 and a half now. It could be even bigger by the time that, that you're listening to this. I'm going to say Wake Forest wins and covers 42 to 24. So I guess, yeah, the over would barely hit in that scenario by half a point. But keep this in mind. Mm -hmm. This is big for Vandy. If, if Vandy wins, not only will it be ending its program power five losing streak at 22. That's right. 22 (laughs) consecutive power five losses. 
Vandy can pop bottles after this one because it will have already hit the over on the mm-hmm. regular season win total of two and a half. So we got big stakes on the line. This is a great matchup and a matchup that, you know what, is better than what we thought it could be like three weeks ago. You know how many Vandy yeah. takes, Will? I, I I think I'm glad you brought that up about Sam Hartman because that was exactly where my head was at. They're like, ah, oh, maybe they could sneak up on him. He came back. It's like, eh. Um, you know, we're both kind of on the page. This would be amazing if Andy could pull it off and really that would show that they they would start getting votes at that point. Like Clark Lee would be a prophet. But if, if being, Andy wins this football game, Danny Canell is deleting his Twitter account. Listen, he's had so many opportunities. I'm not going to get my hopes up. But I will say, uh, how about the job Dave Clawson's doing to wake for us? Just quickly, you know, start off with two, three, and nine seasons. As we always talk about, we are let the coach figure it out, respecters. Since then, he has railed off six straight bowl experiences. Wake for wake. Forrest is not a team that we ever grew up thinking was anything of that caliber. So good for him. I just want to talk about the consistency that they've had. They're not like kind of one player. Uh, like we've talked about some of these other programs, like, Oh, you came up out of nowhere. You had this guy and this guy, and now they're gone. Sounds like LSU. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's not say that, but anyway, so point being, um, yeah, I just want to say they've been a really consistent program. I don't think they're one player program and we can respect both of these teams at the same time and say, Vandy is just right on the way. We're doing better than we hoped. Dave Clawson is ACC. Mark Stoops. That's the comp. How about that? I love that. Yeah, very highly regarded in in the ACC for what he's been able to do, the consistency that Wake Forest has been able to have. I think they're going to win a lot of football games this year as well. Mm-hmm. Mizzou on the road against Kansas State. Kansas State's a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under I have, 228 combined rushing yards for Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez. Yes, that's right. Nebraska's four-year starter, Adrian Martinez, that guy. Uh, he used that COVID year to transfer to Kansas State. He gets mm-hmm. to team up with one of the best backs in the country, Deuce Vaughn. As Tebow said on this pod, Deuce Vaughn is his dark horse Heisman candidate. I know what you're thinking. Why did I pick 228 rushing yards? Because that's what Mizzou allowed per game last year. Yeah, They sure did. They did. They did. I'm surprised we haven't got this cease and desist from Steve Wilkes because outside of the state of Missouri, Missouri we've been slandering him. Nah, no, no, no. Mizzou, trust me, search Steve Wilkes on a no, Saturday last year. Uh, it was it was rough. Mizzou fans are right there with us. They know exactly what we're talking about. Right. They, addition by subtraction with that one uh, seems to be the, the general vibe. And look, I think Mizzou's run defense will absolutely be better this year. But this is sort of the game to be able to prove that, right? Against mm-hmm. what should be one of the better rushing offenses in college football. It was it was great that the defense looked awesome against Louisiana Tech. This is a different beast, and Mizzou knows that. That Boston College game last year was when we really kind of said, oh boy, Mizzou has a massive problem. They cannot stop the run to save their lives. That mm-hmm. could be the case again in this one. There's a chance that we look up and we see Kansas State has rushed for 250 yards and they won this game by three touchdowns and Mizzou is going to be in a really tough spot moving forward in the SEC this year. But I think Mizzou goes into Manhattan and pulls off the upset. A stunner in the Little Apple? Yes, a stunner in the Little Apple, as many people would be dubbing it. Newspaper headlines all across I don't know. Is that, still, is that still a thing? They still got dailies in Kansas? I have no idea. If anywhere it does, it's Kansas. Yeah, that's true. Uh, hey, look, I, I worked at the Kearney Hub. Shout out to, to Kearney, Nebraska. Still cranking out daily newspapers. Although mm-hmm. they they take they don't have the Saturday paper. They got the Sunday paper, so it's a little bit different. But you get what I'm saying. Dailies still exist. They do mm-hmm. the Lord's work. Um, why is Mizzou going to win this football game? Adrian Martinez is going to make mistakes. Against FCS South Dakota. 
our man averaged three and a half yards per attempt, which some would just say, oh, you know what? They know the game plan. He's checking down. He had tons of check downs in that game. I get it. Mm -hmm. I think he makes mistakes. I've seen a lot of Adrian Martinez, and I know, I know that that's different because he had Scott Frost in his ear, which is essentially like allowing a four-year-old to dress themselves for the day. Okay. <laughs> I love thing. that my ability of slander is really just being shared among us now. Just... <laughs> I, I hope Adrian Martinez has better days. And I hope that, that, that the guy doesn't have to deal with, uh, doesn't have to deal with the aftermath of, of being taught probably some very poor things during his time, his very long time at Nebraska, wherein at one point, uh, famous last word, Scott Frost. Do you think he's better than what we got? Um, what he got was Adrian Martinez, and what he didn't know that he wasn't getting was Joe Burrow. So, yeah, <laughs> who could Close. forget? Of course. Um, but I do think that Zoo pulls off the upset. I think they force him into three turnovers, a game in which Kansas State actually, I think, wins the battle up front and outgains Mizzou's offense pretty significantly. That's the difference, though. It's turnovers. It's giving Mizzou that short field. Eli Drinkowitz wins his second non-Vandy road game at Mizzou. This is a fascinating one because this almost does feel like a little bit of a private game for Drink. We talked about that, um, that like the recruiting class coming in. How about Luther Burden? Oh my gosh! Oh. Just to watch. We, we talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that a good amount in the um, in, in the the week one recap pod. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I agree. He's going to be a factor in this one. Of course. But, but point being, yeah, I I just I don't I'm not ready to say it yet that they're better than that Kansas State team. Uh, I think that Kansas State has been consistently pretty good, and I think I will just say really quick, there might not be a person who makes me feel older than watching Colin Klein as an offensive coordinator. Even well, Graham Harrell was a little bit. I was about to say, that's the guy, right? Colin Klein, who famously appeared in the Manti Teo doc as well. In the Manti Teo doc. Yes, sir. He was, yeah, people forget, almost won the Heisman because of that. But anyway, so, yeah, I, I think that home field would be a big – if this was in Mizzou, if this was in Columbia, I'd be like, okay, like let's hear it. But I just think going all the way out there, having home fans and having like that little bit of consistency on offense, plus, you know – like I said, I'm still in on Coach Drink. I'm just – he hasn't shown me enough outside of maybe like the Florida win that I, I know I can trust him. So the safe money I feel is on Kansas State. Yeah, I'm definitely going against um, a lot of conventional wisdom on that one. I I, I actually think Kansas State's going to end up being a better team than Mizzou. I, I, I don't know why necessarily like – but sometimes, sometimes we get these – sometimes we get these kind of random results. Mm-hmm. And which weaknesses are exploited. And we kind of look back on them and say, yeah, that wasn't necessarily indicative of this entire season. I don't think Mizzou's going to have a better season than Kansas State. But I think on this given day, one of those random non-conference games that just kind of you look back on it and you're like, really, Mizzou won that game? How? They didn't even maybe look like the better team, but turnovers are the difference in this one. I wish they could just get something. I wish they had gotten a guy out of the portal, like a quarterback. Like they're like a guy or two away from being a really feisty, interesting team. I just that like I hope that they can just keep the ship straight till they can get that guy in the system. Maybe he's on the team. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Week one, Brady Cook did not make me uh all of a sudden optimistic. I'll just yep. I'll, I'll say that. They have they have a ways to go offensively on that side of the ball. Appalachian State, number six AM. AM's an 18 and a half point favorite. The over-under I have is eight and a half references to UNC. And if they mention Gene Chizik on this broadcast, hold me back. I get it. App State scored a few points in the fourth quarter. Whatever. Big deal. Didn't score any in the third quarter. It's like I say. It's about how you come out out of the break. How does your team respond to your coaching? Clearly, Mm -hmm. 
Chiswick had the lads ready to roll. They decided to coast in the fourth quarter. They nearly blew a 20-point lead. Learning experience. They're 2-0, and all right? Learn in your wins, learn in your losses, just learn. Mm-hmm. That just tells me that UNC has some bad apples on defense. Okay? <laughs> Happens. Going to have to weed through that. I love this. It, that's so funny too, because like my boys were like cheering. I was like, hold on, friend of the program, Gene Chizik. We're not, we're not cheering for that here. It, it takes every piece of me not to just fight back everybody on the internet who's being mead about the UNC defense. Um, I'm doing my best. I'm really doing my best to hold back and just, you know, I, I make my list. Just sit there, sit there. Well, you know, the gif of Ryan when he's, he's making his list. <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chase Bryce, former Clemson backup. He's been in college since the Clinton administration, roughly. <laughs> no, but not really. He's 24. So he was actually alive for the Clinton administration. Um, mm. This is going to be an actual test for a, a young A&M defense. What I think DJ Durkin does to kind of combat some of that youth that they have on the defensive line is blitz a couple of experienced members of that secondary, Antonio Johnson and Monty Richardson. Force Chase Bryce into some quick decisions. Antonio Johnson is so good at timing blitzes. So unbelievably good. I want people to be more aware of just how natural of a skill he has in this department. He blitzed one time against Sam Houston and got the sack on that. Give him a handful of opportunities. It doesn't have to be you know 15 opportunities. Give him five opportunities to make a game-changing play on third down. Get App State off schedule after they looked very much on schedule against a rebuilding UNC defense. Not a left for dead UNC defense, a rebuilding UNC defense. Man, mm-hmm. though, um, AM has to get A chain going. You just have to. 18 carries for 42 yards against an FCS foe was bad. Just bad. Jimbo can put lipstick on a pig all he wants. It was bad. Mm-hmm. You've got to get those ground game issues figured out because Kevin Steele comes to town with that Miami defense next week. I think in this game, the Aggies actually push back a little bit offensively. We see maybe a little bit more creativity. Some pressure gets taken off of Haynes King. And a week of hearing about how unimpressive they were in that opener, I think we see that offensive line show up a little bit more motivated. They handle business. Give me the Aggies to struggle early, but cover, win this one 38-17. Let's do – oh, God, I'm so excited for this one. I was excited for this one before the full week one slate even kicked off. Tennessee, number 24 team in the country, on the road against – Number 17, Pitt. Tennessee's a six and a half point favorite. The over-under I have in this one, three and a half references to the Johnny Majors Bowl. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Uh, we did a great debates down South pod on Majors after he died a couple of years ago during the pandemic about how badly he was robbed for the 56 Heisman by Paul Hornick and his three to 13 TD to INT ratio. Yeah, look that one up, kids. Uh, it was a different time where interceptions were good, they'll tell you. It was a different time where if you complete a forward pass, congratulations, you're an All-American. That's the way this thing works, yeah. man. Uh, go dig into our archives and listen to that, though. That was a fun mm-hmm. pod. Johnny Majors ain't walking through that door, but Hendon Hooker is. That's the good news. Hendon Hooker was put in a tough spot in this game last year. Came in for the injured Joe Milton. This was sort of when I fell in love with Hooker in this Josh Heupel offense. He's a better player than Keaton Slovis. He just is. And whether some want to admit that or not, Slovis has the USC thing, the former five-star thing, whatever. Hooker's the better player. I thought JT Daniels was better than Slovis too. I've never seen a quarterback, by the way, be less to blame for a pick six than the one that JT Daniels threw at the end of that game to Pitt. 
I was about to say, if you're about to say, oh, they won head to head, I feel no. like I could have probably caught that ball. That dude, I mean, I was like, oh, why don't you? Oh, no. <laughs> like the, the three things that needed to happen on that play. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the pick six that Pitt had at the end of that game against West Virginia in the backyard brawl, where mm-hmm. JT Daniels could not have handed the football to him more in a more perfect spot. And it hits off his hands. It bounced perfectly over to the Pitt defender. And then a pick six wherein. I don't know if there was a a West Virginia offensive player within five yards of him somehow. Even it was though, as if like when you throw a pick in Madden and the camera switches and you just oh start shaking gosh. people, it was like, are they, is these guys moving in slow motion? They know they got to tackle this guy. Right? Oh god, that was terrible. Matt Barry on the call was tremendous in that yeah. game. I absolutely love the shout out to our guy Matt. Um, I don't think we'll see Tennessee's receivers put Hendon Hooker in a spot like that. I don't. I, I do think that we'll get some sort of lull from the Vol, the Vols offense in the second quarter. Well, remember that you, when you said that at some point, somebody who hasn't seen this offense is going to turn on Tennessee in a primetime game. They're going to see them score early on that first drive and declare that they're the best team in the history of organized football. Oh, yes. That's, Saturday is that day. <laughs> it's happening. It's going down. 3.30 on CBS. Get ready for it. Oh, giving, yeah. giving Pat Narduzzi six and a half points feels like a little bit too much, though little bit too much. He's probably got that spread plastered all over the walls of their facility. And he's reminding Pitt that their underdogs is a higher ranked team at home. This quote via uh, David Pascal was great. If you haven't seen this yet, um, Narduzzi was asked about being the home underdog after winning at Tennessee. They also won the ACC last year. Narduzzi said, there's only two power five conferences in the country, the SEC and the Big Ten. So we're in the Pee Wee League and we're going to line up and see if we can play. I love that. This. Is the Pat Narduzzi I know and love right there. That oh, type yes. of pattiness. Oh, come on. Sign me up. I will take that 10 times out of 10 over the coach that says, oh, you know, we don't really pay attention to that stuff. We just got to focus on what we can control, blah, 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 and, you know, put our best effort forward. No, 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 no. I need the pettiness. Pat Narduzzi being legitimately disrespected that he is an underdog in this football game is perfect. That, that's that's going to be fantastic. The last time that Tennessee beat an AP top 25 team on the road was actually last year against Kentucky. So they've done it before with Josh Heupel. Mm-hmm. I usually set you up for a stat that's going to be like, they haven't done this in 15 years. No, they did it last year. They can do it again. Oh, yeah. No, that, that game was Cal. Could I forget that game? <laughs> oh, it was bananas. That was a fun game. Really fun. Yeah. Game. Kentucky fans would disagree with that, but a very fun game. I think Tennessee wins this one on the road, but they don't cover. 35-31. Uh, six and a half too much for Pat Nardesi. Can't do that. Can't do that at all. This college football season has already hurt me much more than I was prepared. So guess what? Sipping the bright orange Kool-Aid does not phase me anymore. I'm taking Tennessee to cover. <laughs> Love it. Love it, Will. You you and I both, we're, we're all in right now. We're mm-hmm. Tennessee getting to nine regular season wins, not selling that stock just yet. Week one only confirmed what we had been saying this entire offseason. This is a perfect game, too, for Hinton Hooker, like you were talking about, because it just feels like this is like a, a respectable team. Like you said, just won the ACC last year, where you can kind of have that game that gets people talking about him. Having like the national guys be like, that Hinton Hooker, you know, he outplayed slow yeah. as he outplayed guys you've heard of, like guys that have been around. So this is such a dream scheduling. Sometimes these things will flip upside down on you. I love Notre Dame since last year, but having with these great little bubbles and you're at a conference is so nice. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that one. Again, just another reason why the week two slate is so, so good. This mm-hmm. one, uh, not so much. This this will not be on the main TV. I can admit that. San Jose State against Auburn. Auburn's a 22.5-point favorite. The over-under three times that I, I will think to myself, 
Nick Starkle is San Jose State's quarterback, right? He's not. They- I love that whenever <laughs> we get off on a tangent, we keep going back to it because that's our second Nick Starkle reference in this one. <laughs> Nick Starkle is the this is the number one Nick Starkle podcast in the universe. Tried to get him on the pod a couple of years ago. When it wasn't able to make that happen. It's like, come on, San Jose State. Come on, from me a freaking bone here. What are you guys protecting here? All right. Nick Starkle's right. like 28 years old. He can talk for himself just fine. We'll figure this out. I'll just hit him up on LinkedIn. He's probably like, oh, this guy's a cobra. We can <laughs> Yeah. I think he's an analyst somewhere, actually. Mm-hmm. We'll get in touch with him. We'll get Nick Starkle on this pod at some Let's point. Let's do it. Yeah. We'll, we'll speak that into existence. Uh, they, they do have a guy named Cordero, though. So I don't know if that's going to be relevant at all. The better question in this football game is not who is San Jose State's quarterback. It is who is Auburn's real quarterback. The comp I've been making all week with TJ Finley and Robbie Ashford is what Florida had last year with Emory mm-hmm. Jones and Anthony Richardson. You've got the older, maybe more mistake-prone quarterback as the starter. He's got the familiarity in the offense. Then you've got the wild card backup. He's electric. He's a massive unknown. But at what point does it reach where a head coach who's hearing pressure about his future decides that he needs to turn the offense over to the more talented player, even if it means dealing with those peaks and valleys? Might be too early to say that. Maybe it is. You've got Penn State coming up, though. I don't know mm-hmm. if any of y'all have watched Joey Porter Jr. play, but dude looks like J.C. Horn 2.0. He's ready. He is absolutely ready, and he can single-handedly take over a game. It's all well and good that Tank Bigsby looks like himself, and I expect Derek Hall and that defensive line to feast again. This should be a nice matchup for them. But if you're Brian Harson, you've got to see what you have in Ashford once again. This is not the time to dial back that package. And to his credit, Ashford played 26 snaps in the opener, albeit in a blowout against an FCS team, but you would hope that that would continue even if this one only stays 14 or 21 points. It wasn't like he just got a series in that opener. So that lends me to believe that Harson really is sold on making him a fixture of this offense. I want to see them put even more on his plate. Even though I don't typically advocate for the two-quarterback system, I think seeing what you have in Robbie Ashford right now in a very winnable game like this makes a lot of sense. Auburn wins by 28 and covers the spread. I just want to say really quick on that. Um, obviously, I love Hoover legend Robbie Ashford. But I this was is wondering situ- how long it was going to take you to make that comparison. <laughs> but this is a situation. We have seen this as SEC fans so many times. Like you said, I love the AR one. This could be Malik Willis. The difference is the Finley ceiling, I just feel like is like not what those other guys were. Like He's not even a Bo Nix. He's not even like, to me, like I've seen enough. We said it from the beginning of the season. What are you hoping that he's going to put in the arsenal? Do you think he's going to get shorter and therefore more adaptable to pressure? Do you think he's going to become like mentally tougher to where he, like, what do you, what are you, what are you waiting to see for Finley? Because I've, he was a three-star recruit. He th- the football looks like a medicine ball coming out of his hand. It's like a trebuchet that he has to wind all the way back and throw. There's not, I don't, I don't know. Who, like, I don't get it. I don't get how who, two different programs have decided he's a number like number one quarterback in the SEC. You watch Astor and it's like it's kind of a meme about how much I like Astor that I watch him play. I was like, you know, this guy's exactly what I thought he was. <laughs> like, so I mean, get him out there. You spend two years in the Joe Moorhead offense, you're gonna learn a thing or two. All right. <laughs> football that's, university is what you're gonna learn. All right. Yes, of course. We should have known. We should have known that Robbie Ashford was gonna be a thing. But that'll be the thing that Auburn fans are probably watching more than anything in this game. Would you go from that Josh Niblett coaching tree to that Joe Boarhead coaching tree? Buddy, right. watch out. Exactly. Exactly. Mississippi State's 11.5 point favorite on the road against Arizona. The over-under I have is two references to Mike Leach being familiar with Pac-12 after dark. Probably going to get more than that. At least on the internet, we'll get more than that. Maybe not on the broadcast. 
Mississippi State is only an 11.5 point favorite against an Arizona team who was probably the second worst Power 5 team in America last year. Vandy was the worst. So why is that spread only at 11.5? Is it that people are just sleeping on Mississippi State? They don't respect Zach Garnett in the 3-3-5 like we do? That might be part of it. But I think this is more about what Arizona did in week one. Pretty quietly, might I add. They beat the brakes off San Diego State in San Diego, which matched mm-hmm. their entire 2021 win total, ironically enough. <clears throat> yeah, they won one game. That's it. That was a top 25 team last year, San Diego State was. And Arizona was a touchdown underdog going into that game. They held them to 62 passing yards. I, I mean, that's 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 impressive. I think all Arizona did was just not have Don Brown be their defensive coordinator, and it worked. He took the head job at UMass, but I've 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 probably done a little bit too much Don Brown bashing for an SEC focused <laughs> podcast that everyone's like, who Don Brown? Who cares? Um they have this stud receiver, Jacob Cowling from UTEP. That mm-hmm. should be a fantastic matchup if he's not just in the slot the entire game and if they move him to the outside, which I expect that they would get Emmanuel Forbes on him, see what that matchup looks like. Even if Arizona turns this into a shootout, Mississippi State should feel pretty good about what they've been able to do offensively so far. We even saw Leach run the ball. They ran the ball at the 30-plus times. I mean, mm-hmm. right? And it was three yards of carry, but still, that's that's progress, probably because they were up really big in that game against Memphis. That's what happens if you allow just 29 yards of offense in the first half. You get to play mm-hmm. with a nice, comfortable lead. I think I'm maybe just a touch jaded from seeing Leach's team have that let down against Texas Tech in the bowl game, thinking, oh, he's back in his element. He's going to roll. That spread is spread is interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe like Mississippi State wins this game, but they don't cover, and it's close. It's thirty eight thirty five. Is that is that crazy? Because I would not have said that until we saw Arizona do what it did against San Diego State. You know, it's funny. That's a good example of like just narratives because all I saw from the Arizona game was the punter hitting his teammate in the balls. And I was like, wow, <laughs> Arizona, same old Arizona. What I didn't see is apparently the score of that game because yeah. he could have told me they lost that game. And I'm like, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, so point being, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the bowl thing with Leeds gives you a little bit of pause. I think we're both pretty high on Leeds and Mississippi State this year. I just... I hate to say it, but like I feel like this has got to be kind of a statement win for Mississippi State and one that they just kind of handle business because with Leach, it's one of those things that if he's going to have that type of um, success that we hope and, and, and predict they will in the SEC, like, and that's the maddening thing with Leach, right? He almost never does. So we talked about it last year. This is so up and down with this team, but this is a good example of a team that isn't even really a trap game because I'm sure they're watching film. They're realizing this is like a new, not not sure, slightly older brothers Arizona team, but it's. Uh, I I I would like to think that against those DBs, the Air Raid's gonna feast. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually. I never do this, but I, I'm already. I already have buyer's remorse about my prediction about my final score. <laughs> I do. I think that entire time I'm like, wait a minute. Do I really think I can't be the pro Zach Garnett three three five guy and then say that he's going to allow thirty five points to Arizona? No, 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 no. Twenty eight twenty four. Mississippi State wins that football game. Not so much a shootout in the way that I might have accidentally forecasted. But Mississippi mm-hmm. State still wins that game. Just win. Just win. That's all you got to do. You don't have to worry about right. stopwatch. Just win football games. Okay. Maybe the game of the week in the SEC potentially number twenty Kentucky. Five and a half point underdog. I don't know. I put that spread in the wrong spot. Florida, number 12 team in the country, in case you haven't heard, is a five and a half point favorite for that one in the swamp on Saturday night. The over-under I have. 
Yeah, I, I don't know why I phrased that horribly. Uh, the over-under I have is four references to the NFL draft. Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. That's the beauty of the SEC this year. Mm-hmm. So much depth at quarterback. We're getting matchups like this every single week. KJ Jefferson against Spencer Rattler is a really good quarterback matchup. This, mm-hmm. fantastic. We're going to have all of, like, throughout SEC play, we are going to consistently be like, oh, man, like, this is going to really decide you know, who the better quarterback prospect is or, you know, who's going to be in that spot for an all-SEC nod at season's end. I saw McJay hyping this one up. Should be a great side-by-side for these two guys because while they're different players and different schemes, front offices are both in love with their physical traits as these dual-threat guys. No Chris Rodriguez in this game, still dealing with the suspension. Also bad for Kentucky. Ramon Jefferson, the transfer from Sam Houston State, is out for the year with a torn ACL. Tough, tough blow for that Kentucky backfield. So then that, in theory, should benefit a Florida team coming off of last week's win, right? I'm not convinced. I don't know if Florida knows how to handle success yet. Mm -hmm. This was a team that was, what, 3-12 and against Power five competition dating back to the final one third of 2020, which mm-hmm. that 2020 team was very, very different. The one who went to an SEC championship game, you had this big emotional win against Utah, which was darn impressive. And I gave Florida its flowers. I did. I absolutely did. You've got everybody patting you on the back. You're staying on campus. You're not even, you're not even getting out of that headspace. But it was also this really physical battle with that Utah team in which your team had to play 60 minutes against that hard-nosed Kyle Whittingham coach group. And this Kentucky team is plenty physical, despite what our friend Roman Harper said. What's different then? I'm going to do Florida fans a favor. I doubted your team in week one. They proved me wrong. It worked for you. I'm going to doubt your team again and say that Kentucky actually goes into the swamp and wins this football game. If Florida wins this game, I can have full support of Gator fans uh, to pick <laughs> against their team just every time, every time in SEC play. And that's that's probably I, I can do that. I can help you guys out. Um, but I do think that it's going to be a letdown spot. And, and here's why. I think Florida put a ton into being prepared for how to defend Utah. They operate in a much different way than Kentucky does, which that's that's why you change schemes to to be different, to be multiple, to have multiple ways to be able to beat a team and to sustain drives. Kentucky is actually the team that wants to spread you out and work kind of outside of the hashes, utilize the play action pass to be able to attack downfield. Something that I thought Utah should have done a little bit more and they didn't take enough of those chances. Utah mm-hmm. loved to utilize those tight ends with Keithy, with Kincaid. They operated between the hashes. This Kentucky offense, which looks more capable than the last time these teams met in that rock fight in Lexington last year, this Kentucky offense is going to operate on the edges. They're going to utilize those emerging playmakers that they have, and they're going to make Florida defend them in a much different way than they had to defend Utah. I think Saturday is going to be the highlight of Will Levis's college career. I truly do. I think, I think that he is going to have his signature moment. And I'm not saying Anthony Richardson is going to struggle. Don't get it twisted. I do think he'll have a turnover or two that proves costly in this football game, which I realized that's what I predicted in the first week. Didn't happen. So you know what? Florida fans are getting exactly what you could have want. This is where Mark Stoops can really tap into the best version of himself. I think he's going to have him ready to go. He'll be playing the disrespect card all week, and he'll find a way to have a walk-off game-winning field goal in the swamp. Again, Florida fans, if I'm wrong, you're welcome. I helped you out. I'm not responsible for Florida. I, I know that. I'm well aware. I don't. My ego is not that big. 
Listen, but Napier seems like a very big doubt lover. Seems like a guy who's a big uh, bulletin board guy. Um, so, okay, before I say anything, I need you to just sell me on Kentucky's front seven because I genuinely, like, every year I feel like I know two or three guys on that front seven, and I'm, like, looking up and down the preseason all SEC to see if there's a guy I've DeAndre I forgot Square, DeAndre Square is the, is the alpha in that group. He is absolutely the alpha. They're, they're, Jacquez Jones, they're going to be without Jordan Wright still. He's dealing with the suspension. But, yeah, that, that was a big question that I have, was what was Kentucky going to look like replacing Josh Pascal? Because right. he was a difference maker for that group, but they've got some nice pieces of linebacker. They got this safety that I really like from Texas State, who's a stud that Stoops has been raving about. I think defensively, this is kind of a game in which you're like, oh yeah, Stoops, his defensive floor is really high, and it has been. And even if they're dealing with a couple of those issues, a couple of those questions early in the season, I think they're still set up pretty well in the front seven. There's so many elements to this game, right? Because, I mean, first off, Pac-12 disrespect is at an all-time high right now. I think that you have your two premier teams in the Pac-12 coming down. And, you know, this is a Florida team that, you know, we've talked about it. Lost UCF in their bowl game. Obviously, very different staff. I understand that. But we talked about, you know, what's what's their talent level like, all this stuff. They were just pushing Utah around at the end of that game. I mean, and that's a Utah team that we, you know, we both like Whittingham. We like the things he's done. We, like, we talked about. But whenever it came down to it, they looked small against Florida. That's way different than Oregon looking small against Georgia because that's Georgia. You know what I'm saying? So part of that is, you know, Florida's now at 12. We'll talk about this later. I don't want to get too much into that, but if Kentucky had the type of front seven I'm used to seeing from Kentucky, I would feel much better about this game. Unfortunately, (laughs) They, I feel, I feel that they need that type of guy. And, we, and the funny thing about Stoops is he's always had that guy. He, we talked about it over and over again. Um, you know, it was, um, why can't I? Josh Allen was brilliant in this game in the swamp in 2018. And he made some yeah. plays in that game where he went from a guy who was kind of getting some of that NFL draft buzz to all of a sudden like, oh, wait, he can cover in space too? Josh Allen, mm-hmm. like the guy who has all these TFLs and is considered this edge rusher, oh, he's actually able to cover receivers too? Like this this guy is an absolute freak. He has had those guys typically, and that's kind of why you don't worry about them, right? Like they just kind of right. rotates in and out and just one guy comes in and they're able to just kind of be able to have somebody that's at least in that all-SEC discussion at season's end. Yeah, so to that point, you know, Florida having, you know, more or less offensive line issues. I mean, Anthony Richardson is even more dynamic at this point than I think, I mean, most people projected. I've been pretty high on him. We've talked about him. I think we've been pretty fair going into the whole Florida thing. And I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you need to have a special player to counter that type of a special player. I think at the end of the day, because you could look at those third downs on that last drive for Utah, where it's just, they're they're filling their gaps and it's just not good enough. And I, I think... That, for that reason, I'm going to pick Kentucky. I, looking oh. into this season, I loved Kentucky in this game. Knowing what I know now and knowing that Florida – and I and I, I agree with all of your points as far as them getting up for Utah. And like I said, how good is Utah really? Well, who knows? Maybe there'll be a team that kind of picks up toward the end of the year and this, this win looks better. And, but what I learned about Utah is that they didn't have the dudes to keep up with Anthony Richardson. And like I said, I'm just not sure that Kentucky does right now. But maybe they do. But oh, so, again, you're, so you're I, picking Florida then? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're picking Florida in this game. Okay. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So so that's 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 kind of my winding way of saying that like 
I, I, I am going to take Florida in this one. Um, no, hold on. Let me get this because it's spread to the wrong place. We're, who's favorite in this game? Florida is a five and a half point favorite in this game. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go win, but not cover. I just, right. like I said, I just think it's going to come down to another drive and maybe Kentucky has some swap monster that they don't even know about yet. That'll, that'll share. Maybe it'll be a big, big team effort, but especially um, without a voice to you, I, I think that, I think that Florida probably pulls this one out. You know what Mark Stoops is going to have on film? He's going to have that 45 yard touchdown run that Anthony Richardson had. And he's going to say, guys, if we are in man coverage, but better not turn your back on this dude. Because if you turn your back, well, first of all, I assume he'll have a spy. You got to have a spy with Anthony Richardson. If you turn mm-hmm. your back on this guy without a spy, you're asking for him to just run it right down your throat. And yeah. he he made that 45-yard touchdown run look so casual because of how quickly he gets downfield. And he fakes out like one guy and he's in the end zone. And it's yeah. that easy. But what, what I question with Anthony Richardson, who is, look, worthy of all the buzz. If you're comparing him to Cam Newton, please stop. Find somebody else. Nobody should be compared to Cam Newton. Let's just put that on rest. Again, rest of time. Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, stop comparing stop. to these let's, people. Let's there will never on. be another one. I we, we, we can do better. We can find Perfect. more guys. There have been more quarterbacks in the history of college football that we can compare to. Um, mm-hmm. I think that Anthony Richardson, what we need to see is how does he adjust when people make adjustments to him? Mm-hmm. That's what we still don't know yet. It's just third. Mm-hmm. That was his second second career start. Second career start. The book on him is still really thin. What does it look like when we see his weaknesses? What does it look like when he actually has to respond to, to, to these spots that he's going to be put in? And how does he then go and make those adjustments? That's what we still need to see from him. I think this is going to be a really fun game. I'm prepared to be wrong about this. Fully. Speaking of spies, I mean, the whole Florida team has a case to make a class action suit against Dan Mullen right now. When you talk about Damian Pierce winning that Texans job, when you talk about the way that he set up Richardson for failure by starting him against LSU in Death Valley. No, 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 no. Um, no. It then, didn't start against LSU. Start against Georgia. That was his first start. Right, he came right, right. Into Sorry. the game against he, right. He came into the game against uh, did the fine effort get in their game, yep. which is yep. again just as bad. Started him against Georgia. Played him most of the game against LSU. And the fact that he's been able to respond and the amount of trust that he has in Billy and they have in each other. I mean, it was uh, night and day. You know, you talk about even Daniels came out and was. And I've talked about those quarterbacks to me. You're like linked because of all the stuff. You know, been treated poorly. Took Daniels a half to figure out to trust what's going on. From the jump, AR was like, "Look, yeah. dude, <laughs> we don't, we can't play around here." And that the fact that he, the fact that he did that against Utah was comfortable. But yeah, you get me. Yeah, I love the trust. That fourth, that fourth down call, that the cojones that took. In the oh moment, yeah, to let the clock wind down and to say, <laughs> "I'm going to trust my guy that he's going to not only pick this up, but that we're going to score a touchdown here." I'm not. Yep. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make the smart move. I'm gonna give Utah a little bit less time, and it paid off because he was getting blasted. And if Florida loses that game. It gets even worse. We play the results with these things. Billy Napier would have had to deal with his first sort of, hey, you messed up coaching in a big-time market. We don't talk about that if you're still coaching at Louisiana, if you're still coaching the Raging Cajuns, but you're coaching Florida. And that game's Mm -hmm. on national television. We all see it. And instead, that move paid off for him in a big, big way. But I love the trust. Love the quote after where he saw, I think Nick De La Torre had the quote about Napier saying that uh, his wife could could call plays for Anthony Richardson. Um, I don't know. (laughs) She might struggle a little bit. She's like, hey, hey, we're going to give you a five-star drop I, I don't know how great of an offensive mind she is per se <laughs> but yeah anthony richardson is making a lot of people look really good right now uh, maybe not so much dan mullen what a twitter account dan mullen has just firing off his predictions and stuff like that if you don't follow dan mullen on twitter because you're one of those people that you don't like to follow coaches because it's usually cliche 
give Dan Mullen the old follow button. It's worth it now. He's predicting playoff, like playoff teams after every week. He had the divisional mm-hmm. predictions saying that Florida is going to finish fourth in the division. Georgia's his team that's going to win the national championship. <laughs> it's incredible. We need more of that. Listen, I, I, I'm about to put notifications on for him. I already have notifications on yes. for Mike Leach. Because you gotta follow Mike Leach. Uh, Leach, never Leach is quiet. Leach is quiet you, now. He tweeted a meme the other day. <laughs> we get one one Leach win, one meme. Would That's be. the way that it works. Exactly. As yes. a treat. Yes. Lock of the week. Off to an 0-1 an an start. Ohio State didn't cover because Jackson Smith and Jake got hurt. And I couldn't have possibly known that was going to happen. So, you know what? I'm going to say 0-1 with an asterisk. Um, mm-hmm. West Virginia is only a 13 and a half point home favorite against Kansas. Disrespect to JT Daniels. Disrespect. I, I mean, Caleb Williams only beat Kansas by 12, right? <laughs> Some would say. But that was different because that was in Lawrence. And everybody knows that nobody gets out of Lawrence alive. So mm-hmm. um, they had to get the fans back into the stadium. What a scene that was to be able to do that. Incredible day. That was must-see <laughs> TV for the noon slate. Oh, man, that yeah. was so good. Uh, West Virginia gets a little bit extra time off after it should have won that game on the road at Pitt. I, I firmly believe that. And if you're saying that, oh, yeah, Kansas will definitely keep it within two touchdowns, uh, I'm not going to let a 56-10 to 10 beatdown of Tennessee Tech get into my head. JT Daniels' revenge tour begins now. A little bit of a late start. That's okay. Begins now. I can't quit JT Daniels. I just can't. It's mesmerizing. It really is. I, I, mm-hmm. I saw some of the pocket presence, too, that he had late in that game against Pitt, and I was like, man... JT Daniels could have been fun. He could have been fun, but I get it. Georgia fans don't, don't get it twisted. I, I know. I know. All right. I'm just saying it could have been fun to watch a full season. Of JT Daniels in a Georgia uniform. That's all. That's all. He's getting to be like college football's Mr. Unlucky, huh? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> you know what? Guy got a chance to start a three different power five programs. It could be worse. No, like that. That's fair. But if you just think about the fact, like what happened with the Georgia job, like whatever, it's just like, yeah. it seems like every time he gets his feet set, it's like, Oh gosh, what's this? Uh, which a lot of it's not his fault, but anyway, yeah, no, that, that, uh, makes a lot of sense. Let's kick it to Charlotte Wilder. Uh, had an awesome time talking about her experiences on the ultimate college football road trip. Talked Bama, Texas this weekend, how amazed she was with LSU pretty in-depth mascot breakdown as well. So here is Charlotte Wilder. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Fox Sports' it's Charlotte Wilder. Uh, Charlotte is back to lead the Ultimate College Football Road Trip, courtesy of Dos Equis, the Emmy-nominated Ultimate College Football Road Trip, I should add. Uh, Charlotte was at Oregon UGA over the weekend. She'll be at Alabama, Texas over the weekend. So let, let's start right there. You did something that's on my top, I don't know, like three to four in terms of college football bucket list. You met Aga. Oh, Connor, I, I sure did. I need the full We Rate Dogs breakdown of your experience <laughs> with the best mascot in sports. Well, you know, I actually was lucky enough to go to Aga's house last year. Come on. I don't know. Should I leave now? Is this too much? This like, is awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we were. So the last stop last year was Florida, Georgia or Georgia, Florida. If you're a Georgia fan listening to this um, and we were, you know, it's a neutral site game. Uh, it was in Jacksonville. And it's like that was sort of part of the, the challenge with um, Georgia, Oregon, to be honest, because it was in Atlanta, which is. A little bit easier um, because, you know, Atlanta is such a huge um, 
UGA fan center, but it, you always have to get a little bit creative if you're not on a college campus for these sorts of things, um, which is a sort of its own kind of fun in its own way. Cause you're like, Oh, we can do totally, we can get a little weird with it. Um, but last year we drove from Jacksonville to Savannah where oh, wow. Uga lives and it's a top secret address. Like they only gave it to one of my producers. Um, we had to keep the car in the garage the whole time with like the thing, the garage door down um, so that there was no possibility of seeing the surroundings of outside. And I went into Uga's house and it's this like, you know, sort of ranch style. And he is the whole basement. Like the basement is his little home. Um, and he is a closet with all his little clothes. Um, and I got to see his, the, the suburban, I think it was, is painted like a, the only other vehicle in America painted like fire truck red and like special air conditioning. I could go on. I've already talked too much about. No, this please Dago, continue but- because this is what the people want. This is what the people need. I mean, it's truly incredible. I watched him get a bath. Um, so when I was on the sidelines this this past weekend, I went up to him and, and his handler and I was like, oh my gosh, you remember me? And the handler was like, yes, how are you? And I was like, can I say hi to my best friend? Um, and so we had a little reunion and it was really, it really warmed my heart, Connor. Okay. I asked that because this weekend, I am sure you're going to see that dumpster Bevo in Austin. <laughs> Bevo is too stupid to realize that Bulldogs are meant to be enjoyed like you were innocently and not charged at. And anyone who charges at UGA basically charges at me. Again, I'm not a Georgia fan. I'm an UGA fan. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, what's your fandom, Connor? Okay. So I need this before we go any further so that I don't or I do a, purposely offend you, one or the other. You will not. You cannot. You cannot hurt me because I always say this. I don't have a team. I went to Indiana. I, I went to a basketball school, <laughs> so that that I am totally. I, I have people that I root for. I mm-hmm. have very very specific rooting interests. Those being Joe Moorhead, Gene Chizik. Uh, there's there are a few others here and there that kind of okay. come and go, but those are my two big ones on my Connor Mount Rushmore. <laughs> but I don't have a team, so nothing you can say uh, offends me. My number one enemy is Bevo, though. Number one <laughs> enemy, like not well, even close. There's no second. I'm about to really upset you because I, I went to Bevo's ranch last year. <sighs> that kind of negates the August stuff. I mean, a little bit. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> I was not allowed, though, to ask about the August stuff. Of course you're not, because were like, if you were sitting down with a criminal, you wouldn't ask them, oh, remember that murder that you committed? You wouldn't do that. Yeah, no, it was just they were like, can we not do the dog thing? And I was like, yes, I respectfully I will do that because otherwise also we're in Texas and you never know what's going to happen. Um, so I'll play by your rules. Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, he, he's a majestic being really. And, and so is Aga. And, you know, I also got to meet Miss Rev last year. Mm. Um, and, Mike the Tiger, like basically it was Charlotte Wilder's live animal tour is what <laughs> we should really call it. Um, but it was, uh, it was, very cool and like weirdly moving to be that sort of up close and personal with these animals who by all intents and purposes probably don't know who they are but know that they're special somehow and it's really cool because you'll I'll, I'll go there I'll, I'll get to do these sort of behind the scene things or like try to take fans with me and it feels awesome in the moment but it doesn't hit me until I'm at the game and I see people like losing their minds for 
catching a glimpse of these animals or the a clip goes viral and I'm like, oh my God, I got to be like up there. I got to know, I got to be a part of something like sacred to so many people. Um, so that's sort of how it felt to see, to see Aga. It's like a, a very special little moment. Okay, when when you go to Austin this weekend mm-hmm. and, and you're planning out the best way to be able to kind of capture these college talents, because ultimately that that's what you want to be able to do. You want to portray that and make sure you get the best picture uh, of a college town, which is so unique and such a hard thing to explain to people that don't live in the United States or don't follow college mm-hmm. sports. So how do you kind of lay out the places you want to go and the people that you want to see? That's a great question, Connor. Um, you know, I think for me, not coming from a college football background has actually been the most helpful thing in being able to convey to people what it is. Because I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up outside of Boston and in Maine and went to small liberal arts school. Shout out Colby College. We did have a football team. We do have a football team. Um, <laughs> yes, I live. And to give you a sense of how um, not D1 it was, I live freshman year, my dorm room, I was, there was a foot, there were football players on either side of me on either. So I was just like living with the football players and they became like my best protectors and they were quite lovely, but it was like, not sort of a, you know, here's the separate professional athletes. Basically it was like, Oh, let's go watch. Um, you know, what was that show? Was it weeds with Mary Louise? Okay. Part, yeah. Sure. Not a you weeds know, guy, but like okay. Very, very, you know, t- 2007 to 2011 type stuff. But um, so I think for me coming into this world, um, I remember, you know, I think I'm close to an expert now. Like, I think I know, I like to think I know what I'm talking about, but I remember what it felt like not to. And I remember what it felt like culturally to come into these places and be like, oh, whoa, this is a, this is a world. These are nuances there are, you know, and I'm sure I still get it wrong sometimes, but I think that holding on to that for me and being like, okay, if I were still in that sort of knowledge base, how would I want to explain this to myself? And so it's like, okay, we, we go even something as simple as like when I'm talking to people trying to, to qualify who they are or to explain certain things that I think a lot of sports fans take for granted so that it is accessible to people who might not be sort of diehard um, college football fans. Um, so then it comes down to like, okay, finding the the school tradition that I think we should highlight or that to someone who doesn't know what this is, like Texas has a giant drum and they have like people in charge of taking care of it who take that very seriously. And to me, it's like, well, let's talk to those people. Like, what is that? Like, what better way to explain how much a place means to someone than to explain why an inanimate object has a name and is so special. And then it'll be like, maybe we go to a local restaurant or um, try to take an angle that's a little bit more human um, sort of, and, and culturally grounds the, the experience. I don't want to tell you how to do your job because the Emmy nomination kind of speaks for itself, but <laughs> I wouldn't hate it if you kept a running tally this weekend of the Texas fans who have copied the Quinn Ewers bleach blonde mullet. Just a suggestion. Out you there. know, I think that's brilliant. You can tell me how to do my job if your ideas are that good. <laughs> no, we uh, um, we were going to, I don't know if I want to say this because if we fail, I'll feel stupid. But um, No, we're gonna speak do- it into existence. 
We're going to try to track down the uh, the the person who towed Quinn Ewer's car oh, during yes. the game. Yes, that's So if awesome. anybody has any intel on that, you know, <laughs> find me. <laughs> he just parked in the wrong lot. I mean, like, that's that's how inexperienced well, Stark he, called him out for it, too. You know, I have to tell you that I relate to that deeply because I once locked myself out of a new apartment like four times in one day. That's hard to do. Yeah, the locksmith came back and did this. He was like, ah, oh, Charlotte. And I was like, you don't know me well enough to use that tone that has been used my whole life. We call that in my family pulling a Charlotte. So I related deeply to to Quinn in that situation. I've never experienced Austin personally. I need that's one of the places I need to be able to get to, uh, much less at 11 a.m. second week in September. I live in Orlando, so I feel like I have a different kind of feel for the heat, humidity, all those things. How will you personally avoid heat exhaustion and cramping on Saturday? Oh, man. Um I'm pretty obsessive about drinking water. I love to hydrate. Big water hydration girl. Um, I think, you know, it's funny because I find like being on the sidelines at these places and sort of running around on game day and and having that awesome access. There are moments where you really do. I, I'll, I will forget to eat or I'll forget to drink water. And I'll have this moment where I'm like, oh, my body is just like powering down. It's yeah. like the. Where it's like the Energizer Bunny just running out of batteries, and I have to like consciously, because um, it's so exciting, right? And it's so you're so in it, and I'm like, oh, I gotta get this, I gotta get that, and then I'm like, oh my god, I might actually pass out. Um, see, I also have gotten really good at like finding shady spots in outdoor stadiums, like Oklahoma, miserable for shade, absolutely no shade, and I found I like crouched along the side of the brick wall that had like the sun was hitting it right. So there's like a sliver of shade and I was like pressed up against the brick and people are walking by and being like, is she good? And I was like, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> I actually, that was a, that was a, um, a, there was a right and wrong answer to that question. The correct answer was just drink all the Dos Equis. Oh, Set you up right there. Yeah, you drink a lot of Dos Equis. Oh, yeah. can we cut that? Yeah, we'll cut it. It's podcast pre-recorded. We'll, we'll edit that together. Don't worry about it. They're like, uh, how do you stay? How do you stay cool? And I'm like, well, let me tell you about hydration. <laughs> I wear a Camelback. The yeah, entire time. I, uh... <laughs> I'll just drink Dos Equis. You'll be good. Yeah, Dos Equis. You and Mark Tice did this last year, and I found myself being progressively more and more jealous of your weekends. Because even though you know I'll go to probably about a game a month during the season, it's entirely different to be there for a whole weekend and kind of get the all-access type look at a specific place. What what campus did you guys hit last year that just kind of left you blown away? Oh, LSU. I that's fell the, in that's love. the correct answer. I can that only was speak, a, a I, yeah, I can only speak for myself, but I absolutely fell in love with that place. I think that it was it was funny too because you know we get there and then a few weeks later, um, Coach O is fired and Brian Kelly comes in and I was personally pretty bummed to be honest because I think that that gives it such a different. And then all the drama surrounding you know his fake accent and what is he doing with dancing with these recruits? It was just like. LSU is such a special place. Like it, it's haunted. It's Baton Rouge. It has such the the local spirit there is so intense, and people are just cool. Like it was the it was probably the most inherently cool place that I went. Where I was walking around, I was like, oh my god, every all these fans just like have it figured out. And there's yep. a spooky element, like the big willows and the 
you know, the Gothic architecture, the, the stadium, I did a stadium tour, which was super cool. There's these abandoned dorms in the stadium. Like you could, you used to be able to live in the stadium in these dorms, but nobody has in so long and they're boarded up and empty and old. And I'm like, Oh, those are haunted for sure. Um, and the stadium itself is, you know, it's all, it's old and cement and metal and like very bare bones, which is just the difference in going to these places. Like you go to Kyle field, which is nicer than most pro stadiums I've ever seen yeah. and, and sleek and streamlined. And then you go to LSU and it's just like raw. And, um, I, I think that there was something that really just for me resonated about how true to the place it was. And it was like not trying to be anything it wasn't. And what it happened to be was just like really special. I always have the same answer when somebody asks me about a, a place in, in the South. And then if they use a disqualifier and say, okay, non-SEC place, I always tell people my favorite fall experience is going up to Wisconsin, going to Camp yes. Randall. Oh my God. I, I used to do that annually, even though I live, I live in Florida now. Jump around is the closest thing I think I will ever feel to being at Woodstock 99. Yeah, like, yes. Like Fred Durst but like comes before on. before it all went bad. Yeah, like when it was in, you know, kind of uh, like around right before when Beck came on. Yes. On uh, what was it, Friday or Saturday night, whenever that was. Like maybe like a, a notch below when Corn was out there, I think, <laughs> was the Woodstock 99 vibe that you get from Camp Randall, which is, it is second Corn is A&M. <laughs> yeah, Corn, Corn is A&M. Corn gets A&M. Uh, yeah. No, I, I agree, actually. You know, I think that LSU for me sort of felt like, oh, if I were a college football fan, you know, unfortunately they the football part has been not as great, but like it just, it, there's something about it that was just very magical. But other than that, Wisconsin was, it's gorgeous. Everyone was so kind and not like nice in a fake way or not like Midwestern nice. It, it was just like, they were thrilled to have us. Like I was at the, it was the first jump around since the pandemic. That oh, I was that's at. right. Penn state. Yeah. And it was like, a religious experience. It was this very, it was this communal shared, like extended long release, honestly. And, um, the whole, you can feel the whole place shake. Like it was really cool. It was really special. Um, and so I, I have a soft spot for Wisconsin for sure. I, I those, you nailed it. Those are the two. I sh you should have just answered the question for me. Connor. <laughs> and it's also the like the fact that it's in the it was built in the 1930s, you feel like it could collapse at some point, which adds Definitely. to a little bit of the suspense of jump around. Yeah, like, it's like I one of those die. old roller coasters where yes. you're like, let's roll the dice. It'll yeah. be worth it. Yeah, who cares? Whatever. Yeah. Like if we die, we die. We die during a thrilling experience. What a way yeah. to go out. You know, I have a rule, Connor. I am only I'm I'll do dangerous things if I'm okay with it being the story of how I die. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If I'm not, I won't. But collapsing at Camp Randall. Worst ways to go. Yeah. Standing under an icicle. Stupid. Bad. Jump around at Camp Randall. Good. Smart. <laughs> you, can, you can have that. You can go out that way. Nothing wrong with that. What's, uh, what's maybe uh, an underrated place or experience that, that every college football fan should, should have on their bucket list based on what you've seen? Oh, man. Um, let me think back to where we were. Um, it's funny. It's like so ingrained in my head, the stops we did last year. Um, let's see after LSU. Now, of course I can't 
I think I think that Oklahoma actually is an underrated stadium college chat. It's smaller, um, but Norman is adorable. It you really feel like you've walked on. Have you been there? I haven't been to Norman yet, but when it comes to the SEC, that'll be a, a high priority to be able to get over there. Yeah, you you feel like you're on the set of a western kind of like mm. there's there'll be mostly nothing and then like Norman pops up um and I think just the I got to you know oh I also met the ponies there it was like really animal heavy um and I think that I would say honestly it's not so much a specific place but it's get out of your world you know yeah. like there's if it weren't for college football I'm going to be honest I would never be in Norman Oklahoma like I live in Brooklyn New York you know I'm not and I think that to to go to these places and immerse yourself in different parts of the country and college football is such a it's a great way in if that makes sense so, you know it's like you I think that it was very moving to me how many people just sort of wanted to show me why I should love their school and their place and their traditions. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, the other specific I should really have a, I loved, I also love Texas. Like I'm super excited to go back. I think that that was, um, it's also just sort of such a funny time in their fandom, um, yeah. you know, to be like, is Texas back? Like, mm, probably not after this weekend, but yeah. anyone in Austin pretend I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's such local pride there that is also sort of funny because it's a big, cool city, you know, like a lot of these, a lot of these college towns are small college towns and then there's Austin and to still have a school and a program there um, that feels like Cowboys is really neat. Yeah. It's, it's different to go to a place like Austin or Columbus or something like that where like, Oh yeah, it's, it's a city and the college is kind of in it. And yeah, it's a college town technically, but it's such a different feel than some of these more intimate places. You go to Oxford, Mississippi, and you say to yourself, you spend a night hanging out on the square and you say to yourself, Oh, I get why this is an intimate college experience and why somebody like Wright Thompson can be so romantic about this little tiny place in the United States. And then you kind of look at some of these other places, places where it is more vast and it's yeah. special and it's in its own unique way. I got to imagine there's a place that when you came out with your schedule this year and you kind of looked at it, you saw it and you're like, all right, these, these are the games that I'm hitting. Was there maybe one place that wasn't on there, a place that you still really want to get to that you're saying to yourself, I got to do whatever I can to try and get a free weekend to cover, to have my company cover me getting this bucket list experience there? Yes, absolutely. And it's Tuscaloosa. I have mm. to tell you, I've never been to a game at Bama. I've been to several games that Bama's played at obviously going this weekend. Um, and it's, I don't know. It just honestly, like it feels different when Bama shows up for a game. It's like, it is, I think that people can complain about, you know, being, having a dynasty or not liking it or something. But to me, um, I think that the weight of a program like that, that when they roll into town, it's like, you know, the bad guys are here. In yeah. like a very real way that actually galvanizes the fan base. It feels like it, it feels like a holiday when you play when you when Bama's in town. Like, and I think that that I would love to see what that's like from the other point of view. I would love to see what it's like when a team comes into their space. I want to see that stadium. Um, 
one of the guys on our production team, Thomas Mason, who's shout out Mace. He's awesome. Big Bama, uh, big Bama fan. He went there and, um, there was, I think we were leaving Oklahoma last year and we were flying out. We we're on a connecting flight together and, um, we're sitting next to each other on the plane and we we're watching a Bama game, um, you know, on the live TV on a Delta flight or whatever, and watching him go through the emotions, even though we knew they were going to win. I was like, I want to see that in a group setting, like, especially as a Patriots fan. I feel like I know what that sort of Same fandom thing. is like, and I want to see it in the college football version. You're going to a ton of SEC games this year, though, as it is. I was I was, I was trying to, to set you up to get get you to say it just means more, which yeah. you know I'm sure that's what you think whenever you go to all these places. You don't have to say it. I can see that in, in your face. Five SEC games on your list this year, including this weekend. You've got last weekend also Florida, Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia, Florida mm-hmm. A&M, which I think is quietly going to be a really, really good game in College Station. I noticed that the rest of these games that you have, so the ones in the future, the three in the future that are going to be played at SEC stadiums, they're all hosted by teams with dog mascots. This isn't just about soaking in a college football town. The ultimate college football road trip is just a way for you to meet the best dog mascots, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you're on to me. Yep. Yeah, it's all about the dogs. Look, I got to cover the Westminster Dog Show. I get to find all the dogs in college football. I say hello to the dogs I pass on the street in New York. As you should. It's a little weird. Get some looks. No, I mean, I think... Honestly, like as as much as I joke about the mascots and and meeting them, I I think that there's something after the after the tour last year I covered a um the Bucks the first divisional round um in Tampa. I forget who they played now because that's how my brain works. Is that the um, Rams or was that the one No, was, that was the one after. Yeah. Yeah, it was before the Rams. Um the Tampa one whatever. Um and I was just so struck by the difference. You know, like I I covered more NFL before I covered college football. And I think that the live mascots, for example, are such a great way to explain the difference Um, is that you can have a dog who is the highest ranking member of the Corps of Cadets and everybody just accepts it. And then she gets a standing ovation when she comes on the field. And like she can if she sleeps, if she hops up on, you know, a bed, the kid has to sleep in her bed. It's like there are these rituals around it that I think that these small thing that seems sort of silly or might seem like the periphery of it is actually the heart of it. Yeah. And so I think that going through those, um, I also really like to just honor the people who put as much into game days as the players. Like, you know, anytime I would do something with a band, like the tuba players are sweating for six hours in the sun carrying like they are athletes and, and, if you talk to them, the the way so many of the people involved in like bands, dance teams, cheer squads, you see their faces on game day. It's the same thing. Like that's there. And so there's this huge amount of heart in the whole wrapped up around, you know, what you can talk about as X's and O's that I think is just super fun. And and the dogs are a part of it, Connor. What can I say? We gotta get you to Columbia, South Carolina too. Yes. Sir Big Spur. Been hot in the news lately. Cock Commander. (laughs) Let's just we can all agree that that's that should be the official name, Sir Big Spur. I know everybody was was amped to be able to get that name back, but I agree. I mean, there were some there were some substitutes in there that would have absolutely worked, and they would have played, and that would have been a bucket list thing to be able to see. But yeah, got to be able to to see that thing in person. 
I know chickens scare me a little bit, but uh, or roosters rather. Yeah. Um, but you know, I would I'd get over it. I would uh, anything for content, right? Exactly. Exactly. Let's close with uh, some rapid fire. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yes, definitely. All right. First one. Who is the most aggressive fan base that you've encountered? Texas A&M. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to expand or is that? Uh, I don't know that you need to, but you can if you would like to. No, I think I think everybody listening, if you're SEC fans, would be yep. like, oh, yep. Okay, that checks. Uh, <laughs> if you could go back to college, be a full-time student at one of these places that you've been to, where would it be? Oh, man. Um... Now, that factors in everything. Like, we're talking, hey, yeah. did they have $2 specials at the, at the best college bar on Friday night? Like, the entire <laughs> the entire deal. Like, oh, hey, walking around campus would kind of suck. Everything gets gets factored into that question. Probably Madison. Probably mm. Wisconsin. It was, answer. yeah, it was really, it's gorgeous when it's not freezing and I'm used to being freezing. So I could deal with that. Very true. Very yeah. true. Yeah. The best food you've consumed on a college campus was what? Oh man. Um, I had, I don't want to, I feel like I keep saying Madison, but we went to the, that old, there was a, what was the diner called? There's an unbelievable diner there. Um, let me, let, let me, I'll find the name of it, but it was, it was like the milkshake place or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. And I, cause I, I don't know restaurants in Madison as well, because I usually am up there for, for a day. Like my, my mom lives two right. and a, two hours from there. So I'll usually just make the trip and, nice. and drive and drive back, you know, like it'll make it a full day thing, but she's oh, curious also- probably. Cheesecake, yeah. Also in um, in Norman, there was a place, a diner sort of restaurant thing that used to be a church, I think, and there were stained glass windows, and they had like a swirled frozen drink. Oh, it was incredible. And I will get back to you. I will send you these so that if listeners bug you about it, you can tell them. What, what kind of alcohol are we talking in these swirly frozen drinks? You know, it really could have been anything because <laughs> it was Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, really could have been anything, but I very much enjoyed it. Okay. Um, so, because I was, was going to ask you the best adult beverage that you have consumed on a college campus. And Kentucky's. I, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, that that one was obvious, of course. <laughs> Dos Equis, besides Dos Equis, and I guess you'd be able to include the Jello shots that you had at LSU. Although oh. I don't know if Jello is, Jell-O is a drink. That's more of a solid. Uh, it felt like a drink. Um, mm. It was very strong. I Yeah, that LSU, the RV tour we did was the funniest, coolest experience. Um, and people were very generous and like invited us into their little mobile homes. Um, Too much though, right? Didn't you walk into a guy in the, on, like, yeah. on the toilet? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, you know, the guy who owned the RV was like, oh, and here's a bathroom. And he was like, Hal, you in there? Or he was like, Max, you got clothes on? And he was like, nope. And opens the door anyway. And I see like a <laughs> naked man's calf. And I was like, I'm going to open the other way. Yeah, exactly. It was a real experience. Um, but one of the, there was this like tricked out semi semi how do you say that one of those big trucks either or i don't know it was my like, truck yeah yeah huge 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 and it had been tricked out with like alligator skin benches and the kitchen part of it had there were different vodkas on tap you Whoa. could just press what button it was like you want tito's you want kettle one you want, and i was like this is insane and that was where i took the jello shot so 
Shout out Michelle from Shreveport. <laughs> if you could have, if you could have made me guess who served you that, I would have guessed Michelle from Shreveport. Yeah. Yes, that was yeah. the only. Answer. She was. She was a trip. <laughs> Last one for you. Score prediction for Alabama Texas. Mm. Oh, don't make me do this. this that we can we can bleep this out if it's gonna. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing. More Alabama fans are going to listen to this than Texas fans. Great. So you're good there. You're not going to have majority. You're not going to have a lot of Texas fans probably tuning in for for this. I know. I know. It's just, you know, we're going there and I'm going to be like, you're going to lose by. They know they're going to lose. 49-3. Three. No touchdowns. No, I'm kidding. 49-7. 49-7. Okay. One touchdown. 49-10. 10. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What would you say? I think I have 52 to 31. A lot of points. That's nice of you for a Texas. Lot a lot of cramps. It's tough to play defense when everybody's cramping up, I think. That's I know. Scorching. I know. That's a good point. Okay. Maybe I'm maybe I'm saying that to reverse jinx it so that I hope it'll be a better like I'm thinking it's going to be a bad game and then I go in and Texas really I would love an upset. Don't get me wrong. Oh, like I'm rooting for Texas on this one. That would be out of control. Um but I, after watching Alabama this past weekend, I'm not yeah. entirely sure that that's in the cards. No, prob- probably not. It's probably going to be, be a rough weekend. You get you get the fun in before all the festivities start, and then Alabama <laughs> does its thing, takes the soul out of an entire town, and then you get out of Dodge. That's I can tell you though, Connor. Last year when we were at Oklahoma State, it went into overtime. Oklahoma State won. I mean, at, at Texas for the Oklahoma State game. Um, and I was walking out and all the, these fans, you know, I was sort of like, how are you feeling? And, and they were like, you know, we're still back. We played great. Like, <laughs> and I was like, you lost to Oklahoma State. Like what? And they were like, so I think Texas fans can really spin um, most things into their still being great. And I really respect that. Texas is going to lose this game now, 49 to three. And you're going to be talking to fans walking out of the stadium and they're going to say to you, oh, no, it's all good. We got Arch Manning coming. We're, we're going to be fine. No big and, then, and then they're going to say, like, look, we're just like we're ready for the SEC. Like we are back because we're yeah. heading to the SEC. And like, look, we we held our own against Bam and I'll be like, we didn't. And they'll be like, yeah, but it wasn't zero. Yeah, true. They Utah State didn't score a point and they finished in the top 25 last year. Oh so my God, Utah State, I. I have a good friend who's from Utah and before the season started, he was like both teams like Utah, Utah Ugh. state were. And I was like, oh, that first weekend was real tough, huh? Tough to take the both L's before labor day. Yeah. That's, that sucks. That's I feel really bad. I think that there's something about the first weekend of college football. That's particularly soul crushing. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. You really know at that point, cause you go in so high and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, it might be over. Yeah. Oh, that's it. That's it. Like, oh, we are this far away from a national championship. You go into a year talking about maybe we can make a sneaky run to a playoff berth and then you're Oregon. And then you realize, oh, that's what it looks like if you're going to actually get to the playoff and and win a game. After that first uh, that first drive, I was like, oh, this is in in Atlanta this past week. And then it was just it was tough to watch, honestly. You felt bad for Oregon fans. I, I found myself for the first time ever that Bo Nix has been playing against Georgia, feeling bad for Bo Nix. Yes. It was that bad for him. And they Oregon fans had such hope. And we, you know, we talked to Jeff Schwartz about this. Jeff Schwartz came on the pod and he's yeah. like hyping up Bo Nix. I'm like, Jeff, I hate to tell you, man, you're in for it. You're I know. It. And I watched Bo Nix beat LS, LSU last year. And oh, I yeah. was like, 
I was like, oh, wow, this kid, like, I was sort of, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in on this. Like, Dan Lanning, Bo Nix, like, you know, a sneaky number 11, like, for sure. And then it was just, un, like, worse than we could have imagined for Oregon. But that's Bennett, on the other hand. It's true. Very, very Still true. that guy. Yeah, exactly. Still doing it. Yeah, you might be in for a weekend like that this weekend in Austin. We'll, we'll wait yeah. and see how that plays out. Well, Should be fun, though. If so, maybe I'll be. No, it's not. It's not good luck or bad luck. It's just, <laughs> it's just Charlotte's there. It's going to be a blowout one way or another. Exactly, Charlotte. <laughs> it's been great. Uh, everyone, go follow Charlotte on Twitter at the Wilder Things. See all of her experiences for the ultimate college football road trip. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you so much, Connor. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. We're going to do a little fact or fiction. Great idea from Will. Wanted to be able to discuss some of these storylines a little bit more in depth, have some of y'all weigh in, a little, kind of a tweak on Bold and Brash, I'd say. A little bit different here because we're mm-hmm. talking about some prediction type stuff as well, but it's really more so just three big storylines and kind of being able to decide what's kind of an overreaction and what's not. We've got three um, SEC-specific uh, storylines that we'll do. Georgia will repeat. Florida is going to be a top 15 team and Brian Kelly is in over his head at LSU. So basically we asked everybody in the Saturday down South podcast, Facebook group, which you should totally join because when iTunes shuts us out and we need to make an <laughs> announcement about where our podcast is being posted, guess what? I'm going to post a link to the SoundCloud right in there. And you should follow us on social media, follow us on, on Twitter at the SDS pod, and you'll get updates on all this stuff. If you're wondering where in the world is this podcast going to be able to show up. Um, also, you know, if you, if you listen to, um, your podcast on the podcast app. Let's go to the podcast. If you listen to a podcast on SoundCloud, on SoundCloud, it's got all the Lil Wayne mixtapes. So yeah. just saying. Just shout out SoundCloud. <laughs> Who doesn't got like everything on there. SoundCloud? Yes. Uh, let's, so we asked these three questions and we had everybody kind of respond with, with each of their answers from one through three. So let's start with this one from Daniel Priest. Daniel says, uh, with Georgia will repeat, Fact, because the law firm, Stetson Bennett, is looking more like Johnny Football, Esquire. Uh, How about him getting an AARP sponsorship, by the way? That's awesome. Every 24-year-old quarterback in college football needs an AARP scholarship or uh, Mm -hmm. NIL deal. That's That needs to to happen. If they're not actively working on that, shame on them. Two, uh, Florida will be a top 15 team, fact or fiction. Uh, Daniel says, fact, because the artist formerly known as AR15 is really good. This, hey, look, can't argue with that. He is really good. I can confirm that. And then he says, uh, in terms of Brian Kelly's in over his head at LSU, he says false. He needs to just stop focusing on anything but coaching. I think he means, yeah, all he needs to focus on is coaching. That's what he's trying yeah. to say. He has yeah. a long leash despite the, the memes and uh, needs to not try to be something he's not. LSU didn't hire him to be Ed Otron. Which one of those three do you want to want to pick apart, Will? Um, I'll, 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 I'll let you go first on that one. Okay. The notion that Georgia is going to repeat as a result of beating Bo Nix for the fourth time. I know our guy, Matt Hayes, very much on board with that take. He is. I was there. I was blown away by what Georgia did. If you were saying beforehand that they weren't going to repeat and you saw that performance and now you're all in, 
I'd push back on that a little bit. If you were one of these people that said coming into the year, look, I think Kirby has the right DNA to repeat. I don't care about the fact that there are only three teams that have repeated in college football since 1980. I think that this group with this offense, with the mailman, the law firm, whatever you want to call them, I think (laughs) he has the identity to win a national championship again. If you were saying that before the year and you're saying that now, no problem whatsoever. Georgia, in my opinion, one of three teams that that can win a national championship. If that pushed you over the edge, though, I don't know. I think Oregon probably was at a little bit more of a disadvantage than we gave credit for. I think Kirby spent a whole lot of time thinking about ways to beat Dan Lanning. And he mm-hmm. got in his head and said afterwards, I, I had a really good idea of the way that Dan Lanning was going to try and defend us. And we made those adjustments. And it was obvious. I'm still not saying that George is going to win a national championship this year. I have a little bit more faith that it'll be decided between Ohio state and Alabama. That's not really a bold take. Um, but Stetson Bennett looking like Johnny Manziel. (laughs) If that happens, man, that changes things. That absolutely changes. things. I don't know that he's capable of a year like that, but Stetson Bennett proving us wrong. What else is no. Yeah, the, the the funniest outcome, right, would be that Stetson like actually turns into like the guy that Georgia fans have always thought he was, which would be so bananas because it's like that's the classic like uh look like hindsight thing where it's like, oh, he was always this guy. If he just comes out and is like a Heisman contender, that would be funny. Um, yeah, I think I'll probably pick a different jumping off point for Brian Kelly, but I, I think I think focusing on football is a great decision for him. Pretty okay. much any time he does anything but that, it goes even worse than losing that way. <laughs> let's let's go to this one uh, from uh, Jack Tompkins, who gets a little bit more in depth into the the Brian Kelly stuff. Uh, he says fiction with Georgia repeating as national champs. Uh, repeating is the hardest thing to do in all sports, especially when replacing as as many players as UGA has. Uh, fact: Florida will be a top fifteen team. It appears the Gators have bought into Napier's program, should be able to hang with most teams offensively and defensively. And then says fiction: Brian Kelly is not in over his head at LSU. Aside from the accent and dancing on recruits kelly has recruited well enough to build lsu back to their standard wasn't left with the best roster so year one will probably be a bumpy ride but he should bounce back mm-hmm. i i've you you kind of talk about some of these things throughout the offseason and we preach patience and we talk about having conservative expectations for year one and then these games happen and it kind of mm-hmm. all goes out the window it really mm-hmm. does it went out the window for florida it went out the window for lsu and it's hard not to, especially when your team is playing in prime time. It's one thing if your team kicks off noon game against an FCS team. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. When your team kicks off and it's your first, your first sort of like glimpse of what the program looks like in this new regime, whether you're excited or not, you're going to have those emotions over the course of the game because everybody else is. And it's almost worse that everybody else is watching you and it feels like it's mm-hmm. that much more magnified. But this belief that, oh, LSU is buyer's remorse, but the Napier thing with Kelly, like, all right, let's let's chill. Go back and look at Charlie Weiss's start at Notre Dame and then tell me that, okay? Right. These things. Yeah. I mean, there's not been a second that Florida has been ahead of LSU in recruiting. That's like the funny, the funny part of this, right? Is like by public perception, you would think that Brian Kelly is this out of touch old boomer, and like 
not recruiting a top 10 class when in fact he and actually is uh, top 10 is like yeah. under like there's distance between him and the top 10 at this point because Florida's 10th yeah. so like that's, that's what I'm saying like these words get thrown around and you're just like I think I haven't you know the reporter question thing is a good example I'm a hater but I'm a big spray chart hater I'll hate on whatever is in front of me I wasn't aware of how deep some people's hatred was for Brian Kelly and like, I just don't care. He just was at Notre Dame. Like I, I laughed at him. Like most people did when he joked about killing his team with bad timing. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but I, whatever, like, so the Brian Kelly thing that's funny is like the thing with the reporter that happened where it's like, she got invited to SEC like this morning or see now like ASAP. It's like, I don't yeah, know if there's, if you don't know the interaction, by the way, that will, that will talking about Brian Kelly, um, essentially like made kind of an offhanded comment about like reporters showing up late where I think she was three minutes early. I can't remember yeah. what it was according it was. to her, which like, but point being, I said, whatever I saw the exchange, I said, I'm pretty certain I would like to not get a drink with either of these people. So this is yeah. a great, it's a fair yeah. matchup that you're like, you've seen being late to a press conference is your moment. And then you've realized I don't want to do that. And now backtrack. But point being, it, yeah, I just, I, I don't, it's going to be a rough ride with Brian Kelly because I always said, you know, uh, Saban, Les Miles all came from the North and it didn't matter because they won, but now we're sitting here after a loss. Uh, but it's just, it's weird how obsessed people are with this guy. Like I just, I, I've never, as a hater, like as a person who hates, like I've made so many jokes about Saban, even though he's awesome. I've made so many jokes about Brian Day looking like the Pizza Hut guy. I've made jokes about all of our, all of the college football coaches. I'm just like, he had a cool back. And when you hear the whole exchange, like watching that in real time was so funny. Cause it's like, you hear a little change. It's funny. And they're going back and forth. Then just gets chopped down. And I was like, y'all yeah. want Brian Kelly to be the loser here. And it's very funny. But to, to the point about the, you know, the dancing and all that, like I, I whenever the recruits are running, that's when it's a problem. And to this point, there's an 80% chance in the SEC that Brian Kelly, as we sit here as a better class than your favorite coach. So I was disgusted by that game plan. I think he laid an egg again. It didn't surprise me because I expected him to lay an egg because I didn't, he's a boomer and he's set in his ways and I'm proud of him for coming this far. It's like getting your dad on Twitter. And then you realize all he does is, you know, retweet cueing on memes. You're like, you know, at least you got this far. <laughs> so point being like, I just, let's all pump the brakes a little bit on the Brian Kelly thing. Cause again, when they recruit dude, really, really quick. Sorry. They did a thing with on three where they asked the recruits what they thought of that game. And it's awesome. <laughs> That's love that from them. But anyway, I think that if you're, if you came into this with the, the anti Brian Kelly thing, you want Brian Kelly to fail. You watch that game on Sunday night and you said, this is why it won't work. This is why right. it's just going to be destined for failure. And you're ignoring a lot of the hurdles that that LSU is dealing with in year one, and there's a reason why their their regular season over under was seven wins. I mean, it'd be very different. And they laughed at us for saying five. we're not sure if they'd hit the over. That's the thing. Like now, it's almost impossible because they have to beat both Mississippi schools, right, and yeah. beat Tennessee. Yeah, uh, the, the path to get there will be difficult, and there will probably be a lot of tough moments. And people want to dunk on Brian Kelly. Like that's that's just what this comes down to. He's yeah, he he brings some of that upon himself, and oh yeah, also part of this. You're the outsider. You've won at Notre Dame. We haven't respected what you've done on the big stage. And you think that you're going to come in here and just push people around the SEC. And people are going to continue to hit on Brian Kelly. That's not going anywhere. That's going to be there every single time he loses a game, especially when it's in epic fashion on Sunday night on ABC like that. Just the way that happens. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, 
let's go to let's go to this one from Nick Newark. Nick says, uh, fact, Georgia will repeat. They clearly showed against Oregon that they are still an elite team and can win a title. Fiction, I'm not saying it ain't possible, but I wouldn't bet on it for Florida being a top 15 top 15 team at season's end. And then fact after that bad loss uh, and then the incident where the reporter burned him, Brian Kelly, uh, things are not starting off well for him. So being in over his head seems what's happening so far. Things can change though. It's only one game. Okay. Um, the Florida, the Florida aspect, you wouldn't bet on them finishing in the top 15. If you're, all of a sudden saying after what we saw against Utah, that this is going to be the Florida team throughout the regular season and nothing but, but blue skies ahead, nine and three, 10 and two is very much on the table for them. If, if you're saying that after that one game, that mm-hmm. one game, I would say what specifically changed for you? Because I, I don't think that Florida necessarily showed this new identity. I think we saw Billy Napier look really good in some of those defining moments, which we talked about. I think we saw Anthony Richardson show off the potential that we've been waiting to see. And now everybody's kind of wondering, well, just how good is Florida? Can they handle an entire SEC schedule when Billy Napier was said in spring, we need guys. Mm-hmm. We, we need guys because we can't even practice right now because we don't have the depth dealing with the injuries that we had. So what changed? Was it just the decision-making? Was it Anthony Richardson not throwing two awful interceptions like he did in that game against LSU or like he did in that game against Georgia last year? What specifically changed for you? Because that was a great hard-fought win. It really Mm -hmm. was. There's a chance that ends up being the high point of the season. There's a chance. Beat a top-10 team at home. That's a great high point. Most teams don't do that. Most teams don't get to experience something like that. And Florida's already gotten to do that in week one. It's Mm -hmm. okay if that's the high point. It's okay if LSU looks more like the team that is hovering around 500 this year. It won't change how I feel about Brian Kelly. It won't. Barring a major incident and barring all of a sudden he has this rash of of decommitments and whatnot. And his first full cycle, it just falls apart on him, which I don't think is going to happen, especially with NIL. Mm-hmm. I'm not changing my opinion on these guys. I'll, I'll tweak them a little bit. I can say something's impressive. I can say something's a little bit disappointing, but we shouldn't have these wholesale changes with these year one coaches, especially not after one game. And luckily now we have Boosie Badass as a, as a, <laughs> as an ally in the NL fight. That's his name. That's not a curse. They, they just need to get to Coldest Crawford back to <laughs> LSU next year, get the NIL going with him and then everything will be fine. Connor, do you know a Boosie song? Uh, what was uh, wipe me down? Yes, good job, Connor. Um, I will jump off on this one about uh Florida real quick. I I definitely agree with your points, and I think I think we've been pretty two teams that I feel like we've been weirdly on the money about LSU and Florida's two of these. It's like okay, so we both definitely had them losing Utah and Florida fans, buddy. Most of y'all did too, but to that point, them getting up to twelve might be kind of a little bit of the rat poison that Lane Kiffin talks about to your exact point. It's like we knew going into the season that the expectations needed to be low. And Billy kept saying that over and over and over again. So that being said, I like I said, I haven't been in Kentucky this weekend. I could see that jumping them maybe even into the top 10. Top 10 that would. Yeah, yeah. Matt, that would be very possible. They'd um, have the best um, resume in college football. 
at that point, oh yeah, it would, yeah, beating it would consecutive be top twenty-five teams, yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that would be rad, and that would say a lot. But to your point, the attrition once you get into the SEC schedule. So, and the thing that's really interesting about the Utah thing, right, is like, well, if Utah completes that pass at the goal line, you know, whatever, let's say they come out and win it, um, would Utah would drop, right? Regardless, because no, they they, they, they would they they would have moved up. You think you would have moved up? Yeah, because Notre Dame. Oh, we got storms in Orlando because it's five o'clock here on. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the way this works. Yeah, they would have moved up. Notre Dame moved out of, of oh, the top true, five, yeah. so they would they would have moved up a spot probably. I would I would say, and the whole thing is, is that say more about Utah or Florida. I truly think it says both. I think it's right down the middle, and I think that if you're even if they complete that pass, if you're looking at Utah as a team that we thought they were, I think it would have been a little bit different. So that's my only thing is that there is a difference between pushing around Utah and not physicaling them and staying on the field with a team like Georgia, who we saw the, the gap it's weird because it's like the gap almost stayed the same because Georgia played so much better than most people thought against Oregon. And it's like, that game is going to be, if you go into that game thinking that Florida and Georgia are like on the same field, watch they beat Georgia. Now that would be hilarious. (laughs) Exactly. That would be hilarious. But I I can see myself in one of those compilations, but I I just want to caution that even Billy Napier should keep your expectations low for this year. You probably will finish ranked at this point. So take that as, as found money. Yeah. Nice win. Great moment. Great way to be able to start off. Peyton White says, fiction, fiction, fiction. <laughs> Too many assumptions for week one. I like where Peyton says that. I, <laughs> I really do. Uh, Jonathan Wallace says, one, uh, fiction, Georgia. He says Georgia will not repeat. It's possible uh, as they look like a, a top-tier team. However, I think repeating a natty is probably one of the hardest feats in sports, especially when you throw in the rest of the SEC. Two, fiction. He says Florida will not be a top 15 team at season's end. Florida just isn't there yet. Watch out next year, though. How many times have we seen a second-year coach make a big run? And then, fact, Brian yeah. Kelly is in over his head, according to Jonathan. He says LSU will not take much more of this. He was a bad hire to begin with. His best coaching days are long gone. And let's be honest, he looks scared. You know what, Les? His team was fifth last year. I am... <laughs> hey man. I mean, yeah, he's not fifth anymore. So that was behind him. Anyway. Yeah. I, look, I, if it doesn't work out that basically, and basically not working out at LSU is not winning a national championship because right. when you have three consecutive coaches come in and win a national championship, that's the gold standard. We're going to probably overreact to him more than any coach in college football not just this year, but for the next probably three years. Like that, that is that is that was so clear on Sunday night. I mean, it was everybody loves to be able to to pile on Brian Kelly, and and that's not changing. Um, his best coaching days being long gone, I think, is a little bit tough to say. A little bit tough to say for a guy who has five consecutive seasons of ten, five consecutive seasons of ten wins, and is inheriting more talent. In, in a pretty favorable situation, but maybe Jonathan will be right. Maybe he'll be right. Um, Florida just not being there yet, but having all that momentum going into year two is really interesting. It's still way, way too early to talk about where Florida could potentially be in year two with Billy Napier. But, but if Anthony Richardson delivers that all SEC season, if Florida does finish as the top 25 team in year one, that hype train will be impossible to get away from. And like we talked about, recruiting is all right. It's all narrative. And so, you know, what could vault Florida into the actual like upper echelon of recruiting? It could be landing a guy like Cormani McLean, right? It's a guy that gets other guys, or it could be a one like this. It just depends. And one thing about Florida, 
they are the narrative kings of the SEC. A win like this is going to ripple through all of those circles because it's going to be all of the negative recruiting for Florida was, oh, their coach can't win on a big stage. There's Sunbelt Billy, all that stuff. Da, da, da. That pretty much in one game is over with as far as the slander Billy Napier. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Let's end with this one from uh, Jesse Halford. Halford? Halford. Jesse Halford, I'm going to go with on that oh, one. Oh, a new member. Or he, sorry. Jesse? Jesse says, uh, number one, fiction is in Georgia will not repeat as a national champ, uh, but just barely. I doubt anyone is going to beat Alabama this year. This isn't a Georgia isn't good enough reason, but more so an Alabama is better. Now, uh, this whole thing can change if Bennett can keep the offense humming like he did against Oregon, but Georgia will come the closest. Uh, fact, Florida will be a top 15 team at season's end. Florida has given Napier the reins. Their games are against Tennessee, Kentucky, and Georgia. Those will be the great ones. Uh, Georgia will be hard uh, to bet, but the other two games are possible wins, especially if Richardson keeps playing like he did on Saturday. And then Fiction, Brian Kelly is not in over his head at LSU. It's been one game. Granted, it was a game where he had a ton of issues and horrible special teams play, but he still has time to turn around. Overall, the reason this is fact is that I need uh, more data points if game more data points of games to see how they go. Agreed. Agreed. I'm never going to yeah, fault no. anybody for saying, Hey, let's chill after one game. Uh, Jesse, I'm sorry. I misgendered you. There are two people hugging in your Abby. So I had a 50, 50 shot. Yep. You're obviously a dude. I will say, welcome to the group. This is really good stuff. Keep giving us the stuff. We'll keep reading yes. This is bop, bop, bop. great job. Welcome Love. to the group. Absolutely. Uh, let's do uh, some lad of the week. Well, what do you got? Well, I will be off of my LSU kick next week, I promise, when they hopefully beat Southern. But you know what was coming? Jane Daniels. This Ooh. poor, this poor lad. This poor, poor lad. And to be honest, like I said, my vision of the game was a little bit different because I was watching in horror from the lower bowl as opposed to having all the nice angle. In fact, I should probably go back and watch the um the uh Ollie hit because oh. what's up? Oh, I, I thought you were gonna say the all twenty-two. I was gonna say, well, don't do that. But yeah, go no, I'm not doing that. Game. I need to go watch the Ali Gay hit because I believe that came on a touchdown, which also had like PI on it, and I was watching the ball and watching the touchdown, which mm. was not good. Uh, so anyway, uh, it was one of those two flag things where you're like, maybe, oh no. Anyway, so point being, Jaden <laughs> Daniels, man. I mean, the the first half of that game, feeling like you know your typical LSU run first quarterback. We've seen it over and over again, where you know you have a guy who just doesn't run the offense. And then the way that he finished that game, coming down, you know, running that tempo, getting guys together. So we talk about lot of the week. It's always a little bit of a lesson, right? Whenever things get sideways on you, that is when you prove what you're about. Jaden Daniels, when things got sideways on him, he went from a guy who the questions about him were, oh, your teammates didn't like you as Arizona State. Oh, you were immature. Oh, da, da, da. You see him being the one to pick up Kayshawn Booty, who is a Louisiana native. <laughs> you see him being the guy mentioned as a leader. After that, after that loss, not saying, oh, well, you know, I could get up out of here. Oh, I miss my family. Da, da, da. You know, the whole thing about him was, oh, his mom, oh, his family, oh, his decisions. Da, da, da. And he showed me literally in one game, this kid seems to have matured. Seems like we've got something here. Maybe that's all. <laughs> but hopefully that's all we're going to need in a couple of games. So I'll just say, you know, just as a, as a dude, as a player, as a teammate, that guy – in, in a lot of dark spots was a very big, bright spot. There are a lot of different takes about Jane Daniels flying around on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. Garrett Nussmeyer in there. I think Garrett Nussmeyer would have gotten killed. 
I don't know why you guys hate Garrett Nussmeyer and you want him to die. I, that's <laughs> that would not have ended well for Garrett Nussmeyer in that game. I, and while I think that Jaden Daniels has a lot of room for improvement, I still think that him being able to escape some of those rushers were uh, that was pretty important in that game, especially late. I'm going to the opposite quarterback. This, I'm, I'm going to the opposite sideline. Jordan Travis, mm-hmm. Florida State quarterback, is my lad of the week. The monster hit that he took from Alligay. Mm-hmm. One of the dirtiest launches you'll probably ever see in that spot. And I don't think Ali Gay is a dirty player necessarily. It was a dirty play. You'd be the first to admit it. Mm-hmm. Travis not only hung in there and delivered a dart for a touchdown, just gets up like it's no big deal, which I, I'm i always amazed when human beings get up from that hit. Oh, you're just watching it right now, aren't you? I guess it was on a touchdown. I yes. Oh, my gosh. It was bad. I mean, real bad. He so he's loud of the week, not just because he got up, not just because he threw a touchdown. He shared that Ali uh, Ali Gay reached out to him and apologized for the hit. Love mm-hmm. to see that. Absolutely love to see that. It's a physical game. Stuff happens. Not saying that should happen all the time, but two guys made the best of a bad situation and moved on. I think we need a little more of that in this world. That'd be great to see. I'll tell you what, man. Yeah, I felt great about him too. He was a guy that I was like, you know, a big strength for FSU coming into the game, obviously. And every freaking third down, that guy was nails, dude. I, he earned a lot of my respect. I mean, who would have thought that would have ended up being a quarterback battle? That was them going back and forth. But it's it's always in a game like that doing just enough. And it just felt like he always made the right read. He always like was was he, he knew when to trust his legs. He knew when to do and like like I said, if you're an FSU fan, you look at that performance and you're just like, hey, you know. We were a well-rounded football team, and it all starts with that guy. Yeah, quarterback position. I wouldn't say that that's going to be uh, that. That's not going to be a game in which we look back on and say, "Wow, what great quarterback performances!" This this change how we feel about the position. But a couple of guys who I think you, your fan bases are able to rally around, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what you need right now if you're Florida State. It's kind of what you need right now if you're LSU. Okay, if you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. We will be recording on Sunday morning after the action. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, on Spotify, or something like that, you've got somebody that's reached out to you saying, oh, hey, they're not recording on iTunes or whatever. Don't go listen to SoundCloud. Go listen to Spotify. Find a way to get the Saturday Down South podcast in your ears. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash or Factor Fiction. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.